the blast from our past network. Welcome to Podcasting After Dark with uh, Zach and Corey. This is Peter Jason of uh, Babcock and Finch fame saying, this is the best show in town. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Hard Target, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, Lance Hendrickson, and Yancey Butler. Welcome to another professional episode of Podcasting After Dark. I am one half of the pad team, Corey. I don't get angry, Stevenson. Joined with me as always. <laughs> it's it's fading. Joined with, <laughs> I gotta reset it. Randall, Randall, Randall. Joined with me as always is my co-host, Zach the Snack because his mama took one. <laughs> What's up, buddy? That was terrible. I'm going to leave the voices to you, my man. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> that was terrible. You're like, you've alienated our entire Eastern <laughs> European audience right there. Oh, yeah, but, you know, they probably found that really m- way more entertaining. So we'll leave it at that. <laughs> it was a I'm terrible It's a terrible Arnold Vosselo. <laughs> I'm just happy that my mama took one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know what? I'm happy that your mama took one as well. <laughs> <laughs> Guys and gals, we're talking hard target this week. Freaking finally, man. <laughs> finally. Finally what? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Is this going to be the redemption story for JCVD? I guess um, we'll find out. <laughs> In my opinion, it could be he's he's definitely limping to the end to the uh, the to the uh, finish the finish line. line <laughs> but he still made it across the finish line, and I'll, and I'll explain why soon. But uh, yeah, no, uh, hard target is is dare I say leaps and bounds above cyborg. Um, case in point, the cast itself. Yeah. However, and we'll get to that in a minute. However, um, you know, I, I think. Uh, Van Dam and Wu was not as explosive as it expected it would be in the box office blood bank crotch shot mamacita, but uh, <laughs> whatever that means. But shit, man, the, the bad movies age well. That's all I have to say. Bad movies age well. <laughs> so some backstory on this for those of you who have not been listening pretty much since, you know, episode one, uh, Heavy Metal, pretty much Zach and I have been talking about, you know, how much we love JCVD all the time. We make no bones about it. And in back in year one, uh, I brought Cyborg to the table because, you know, if you were to ask me, say, three years ago, what my, you know, handful of favorite JCVD movies were, I would have said Cyborg, Bloodsport, and Hard Target. Um, and if you all have listened to our Cyborg episode, you know that I now take that off of the list. <laughs> and it kind of just solely resides in just a place of nostalgia at this point, and that's fine. Um, but... Zach and I have lamented multiple times this season, season two, 
that we were afraid we weren't going to have a JCVD movie that we actually liked. And we were like, this is weird because we're both huge Jean-Claude Van Damme fans. Um, so we wanted, to, I've been wanting to do Hard Target again since the beginning. But once we started down this journey of like buying the Blu-rays that we were going to review as well, I was like, you know what? I'm, we both agreed that we wanted to wait for a better version of Hard Target to come out. As we were creeping closer and closer to the end of season two, I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I really want to watch Hard Target. I just really do. So I started just looking at the Universal Blu-ray. The reviews were fine. It has jack shit on it. Not a single special feature except for the trailer. That shows you how much they fucking cared. Um, although <laughs> it it has a little... It actually is not the rated R version. It's actually the international version that's a few minutes longer. Uh, technically the quote-unquote like director's cut. So it's got a little bit more action. A lot less doves, weirdly. Um, but... <laughs> So, as most of you all probably know, I think it was Kino uh, announced uh, an HD version of this movie about a couple weeks ago. That announcement yep. was made two days after I just pulled the trigger, after I said, fuck it, I'm tired of waiting, and pulled the trigger. Woke up in the morning, saw Dawn of the Discs on Instagram, <laughs> Kino's doing an HD fucking 4K hard target with, you know, a bunch of special features, and I just looked right at it, and I was like, fuck me, right? <laughs> but I regret nothing because I had a fucking blast with Hard Target. Uh, before I dive into my experience with the film and growing up with it, uh, Zach, what is your Hard Target experiences? Well, I'm a huge JCVD fan, have been since No Retreat, No Surrender, and Black Eagle, and so forth and so on. So when this movie dropped in 93, I think I was there opening night at the theater to to watch it and was disappointed I think overall I think walking out of the theater I was like meh that's kind of how I felt a lot about a lot of Van Damme's movies like I wanted to love them like I did Bloodsport but then I went ended up going meh through most of them that being said watching them now uh and and less of a teenager judgmentalism and more of like a nostalgia loving uh, harken back to the good old days of cheese ball cinema. I I had a very much a about face for the most part with this movie. Uh, gladly, happily, yeah. I was like, oh man, I hope I really like this. <laughs> yeah. Did, yeah, I was expecting more with the quote unquote international cut, director's cut, um, and hopefully Kino will do us right by releasing that when that comes out later this year. Because I will gladly double dip if that's the case, at least with a some sort of extras on it. Because this yeah. was pretty bare bones. I'm glad you chose it, though. I'm glad you chose it because this is the redemption song for Van Dam at the moment. On on podcasting after dark, yeah. I'm podcasting after dark, yeah. You know, um, we may get to other Van Dam movies. I mean, because I hope he, we get to Bloodsport it someday, but I think at this point, we've discussed it off air. Again, we're back to you're sort of waiting for a good version, right, before we sort of pull the trigger on it. Yeah, because that's, that's my penultimate yeah. JCVD film. And why I think that he's more akin to Podcasting After Dark versus Steven Seagal or Chuck Norris uh, well, Chuck Norris was on Pat already in a big way. Yeah. Um, but more, 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 more. Uh, why JCVD is better than Seagal? I, I'll say that is because the his overall body work tends to delve more into the 
podcasting after dark side you know usually there's some sort of gratuitous nude scene of his butt or somebody else's <laughs> uh a la double impact yeah but uh and then you know the, the 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 subject matter is a little bit more bizarre or obtuse you know where seagulls were straightforward action cop movies or action revenge movies these are more like these have more actually more uh substance if you think about it yeah. overall Hard Target is basically most dangerous game. Yeah, of course, um, of course. And you know it, his other ones, um, Time Cop was based on a manga comic, but very uh, different. Uh, Double Impact with the twins going on, and then he does <laughs> he does twins again, you know. Um, and then you think about like Death Warrant, which is another good one. Uh, you know he makes these f- fun, unique movies where Seagal was like, because th- those two were really head and head going head to head back in the day yeah seagal though you know were they were like kind of generic in a way you know they were just like they could have been every man um oh universal so- soldiers another one love that, that could one. be a pad movie yeah know, for sure love that one as more a kid. deranged yeah but i think about like you, you tell me all seagal's movies seagal didn't have uh you know that i don't know it's just the diversity of what his movies were not as complex as JCVDs. Yeah. So I agree with you. JCVD for me fits perfectly. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you there. Um, I was kind of the opposite with this movie when, when I was a kid, uh, I saw it in the theater, but I don't really have, you know, anything to sort of to like talk about with that experience because this movie became just so high in the rotation with my friend group moving forward that, that all throughout the nineties, early 2000s, pretty much until I moved to L.A., uh, I watched this movie on the regular, you know, mm, and I loved yeah. it. And I was also a big John Woo fan. And I discovered this movie around the same time that, you know, I was getting into the John Woo stuff. So it was like, you know, perfect. And and it's just like, like you said, I, I always gravitated more towards JCVD than I did Steven Seagal. I've seen all of Seagal's movies and, you know, multiple times, and I have my fun here and there with it, but yeah. he never really, I never really connected with him. Honestly, you know what it is? And I know it's kind of true in real life, but even when I was a kid, I picked up on it. He looks like a fucking asshole, Steven Seagal. Like in every movie, he just looks like he's a dick. And I'm just well, according like. According to William Sadler, he is a dick. Yeah, right? Yeah. Listen to our William Sadler interview on Patreon. Uh, he has some things to say about working with uh, Steven Seagal. We'll just, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, but, gold. But yeah, so like Seagal was never really my guy, and JCVD was, but. I probably, you know, and I watched Bloodsport a bunch, Universal Soldier a bunch, everything, but kind of like when this hit, this is then what I watched of JCV a ton moving forward. Probably, you know, I'd probably throw in Bloodsport a lot with that. You know, these, so Hard Target, Cyborg, and Bloodsport are probably the three biggest JCVD movies that I've seen. I haven't seen Universal Soldier in a long ass time. I always thought their outfits are really cool in that, in that movie. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I agree. I actually watched Universal Soldier probably less than six months ago. Does it hold up? Yeah, hit or miss it's hit or miss like the the acting is again dare i say um lundgren's acting is is subpar yeah. like he's not a good actor that, he's that, not a good actor beautiful genius man <laughs> beautiful fucking genius he's I, not he doesn't have the he doesn't have yeah. it you know when he's like in cutting off the ears of uh yeah. the Viet, Viet Cong or the vietnamese people or whatever and uh, and he's like, I forget the line he utters, but it's so flat. 
he's just a flat actor. Yeah. It's I, it's such a bummer because Van Damme, Van Damme can be super flat. And there's moments in this where you're like, oh, I wish they wanted would have done a take two on that scene right there. But then there's moments where he like his personality comes out and you're like, oh, shit. That's what that's the Van Damme I love. So one thing that I found interesting with this viewing uh, of the film of Hard Target, you know, and now we're living in future times. Um, One, I realized why I think I connected with JCVD in this movie. I think he's it's like one of the nicest roles he's played. Like his character seems like a nice guy. And he's and I like that he's kind of like almost a pure hero. He's always doing the right thing, except at the beginning where he won't, you know, he's not, he's only doing it for the money essentially, but he kind of turns into the hero. Um, But that's your typical hero's journey, obviously. Uh, You know, he has to, he has to, what is it? um, You know, shirk the call of duty, you know, type of thing. Like you, you basically, you don't go down the road first. Um, You know, you, you basically, you don't answer the call right away. And that's, that's, uh, Joseph Campbell's, you know, uh, the hero's, uh, what was it, myth or something? Uh, the hero of a thousand faces or something? Yep. Yeah. Hero of a thousand faces. That's right. So I realized that one thing I wasn't sort of expecting to kind of connect with this viewing was how much I liked John Claude Van Damme in this film. Uh, and I think, you know, you're, you're saying that his sometimes his deliveries might have been a little bit subtle. I think I kind of liked that because I think it kind of lend itself to a bit of a of an air of of I don't know sincerity I don't know what the right word is but he didn't feel like every other JCVD movie that he's done you know what I mean like he he feels like a different he actually feels like a character in this movie I would have said the the first line he utters needed to be a little more solid <laughs> but <laughs> and the second thing that I took note of was fuck, man, I miss John Woo's action and how, like, stylized it is. There's one scene where the guy on the motorcycle gets, you know, like, kicked out the window, like, on, you know, an explosion because he kicks the gas can, and we'll talk about that later. But, like, dude, if you watch that, that thing took, like, eight camera angles for them to do. And I'm like, it looks awesome. And it's stylized. And the third thing... John Woo actually shows him reloading in this movie. And I feel like back in the day, that was something you never really saw. It's something that people expect now in a post-John Wick like world. And people call it like gun porn, you know, and how how sort of yeah. accurate John Wick is. And, and even with his, honestly, his reloading is, is fascinating to watch. But here, I love the fact that John Woo shows chance like picking up clips after he kills people actually shows him reloading and everything i was like i felt like that was kind of ahead of its time for the era so just like some little notes some takeaways i'm sure i'll pepper pepper it back in while we're talking about the movie but you know i just kind of wanted to mention him now and yeah i wasn't let down when i watched it i i was texting zach although he was in uh palm springs i was unfortunately probably blowing him up a little bit um but i was texting zach and i was just like I was in such a great headspace when I was watching this movie. I literally felt like I was 15 again. And I don't mean like sitting there watching. I mean like this movie inspired me. I can remember why I got into movies to begin with. And this movie has a lot to do with that. Or should I say John Woo had a lot to do with that and just his visual style. And I'm just watching this and kind of it's taking me back to a time where I was like, the sky's the limit, right? I was, I haven't even gone off to college yet. Like sky's the limit, you know? And, uh, I don't I wasn't expecting Hard Target to do that for me. So that was a nice little added bonus to go along with all the fun action and oh the quotes. I have so many quotes. I quote the shit out of this movie and I realize that now. The like quotes that I didn't even realize I said are actually from this fucking movie. I was like, huh, 
this movie had a lot of influence on me. (laughs) (laughs) Good and bad. (laughs) Exactly. Good and bad. So, yeah, dude, that's, uh, you know, that's our target, guys. Go go and watch it. (laughs) Bye. No, I'm just kidding. Bye. Shortest (laughs) episode ever. (laughs) Exactly. Love it. Uh, You want to get into the cast and crew? Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, JCVD plays Chance Bordeaux, Bordeaux, Boudreaux, uh, Boudreaux. Boudreaux, and uh, Lance Hendrickson is Emile Fouchon. We all know both of those guys, so we don't even need to go down their resume. Nope. Um, Yancey Butler plays Natasha Nat uh, Binder, and she is actually she's been in a ton of stuff from Kick-Ass 2 to Witchblade to Kick-Ass 1. To I was, I was just going to say three. No, I'm kidding. I was just going to say Witchblade, baby, which is perfect because our last movie that we reviewed is Witchboard. And I was afraid during that whole episode that I was going to call it Witchblade by accident. So it's a weird <laughs> synchronicity that we're doing this next. Yeah, she was. Uh, it was. It was a TV series mm-hmm. uh, back in the day, and it's with based David Chokichi, based on yeah, based on a, a Marvel comic or DC? no? It was. Um, it was a Top Cow, which was an imprint of Image, but then I believe purchased by DC. I don't know where it sits now, but I think it was a Top Cow production. All right, cool. cool. <laughs> You're That's... like, I'll take your word for it. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, and then um, her. One of the, on IMDb, he's listed as fourth, which is really weird uh, as a top build cast. Chuck Ferrer is mostly a writer. He wrote Barbed Wire and Virus and Red Planet. And, uh, he, and, and Hard Target. He, and Hard Target. <laughs> <laughs> he plays her dad, um, Doug Binder, a very important character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just going to go through a couple more. Uh, actually, uh, Arnold Voslow plays Pick Van Cleef. Uh, an homage to Lee Van Cleef. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know him from the Mummy franchise. Um, he was in Blood Diamond. He played Zartan in G.I. Joe, one of the highlights of the G.I. Joe movie, which yeah. was dog shit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he was Zartan, and I was like, oh, that's cool. He's Zartan. He doesn't do anything. Great. <laughs> I know. And not going to lie, I'm I'm actually a really big fucking Arnold Voslo fan. Oh, really? Uh, I obviously pick, and then, you know, I thought he was great in The Mummy. Um, yeah, and then yeah. that. And every time I see him, I'm like, yes, Arnold Voslo. I know he's going to bring something awesome to the role, you know. But, yeah, nothing could save that G.I. Joe trash. No, no. But um, he he had a minute where he was in Darkman, the Darkman franchise. He took over for Liam Neeson. Um, and Darkman 2 and Darkman 3, which is pretty badass. Uh, they're actually not bad. They're not as bad. I think they, the, again, I think those movies have gotten better. And, and again, there's a, there's a Sam Raimi connection there because Sam Raimi has a connection to this movie as well. I was going to say, yeah, there's a Sam Raimi connection in this movie. I got no change, man. (laughs) And, um, uh, and then last but not least, uh, in the, in the, Big cast. Casey Lemons plays Detective uh, Marie Mitchell, and who's fantastic in this. She was in Silence of the Lambs. I'm like, I know her from Silence yeah. of the Lambs and Candyman. Yeah, and actually she directed Eve's Bayou and that uh, 2019 Harriet movie. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's and, great. And you're right. In this movie, like she doesn't have a lot of screen time, although her role is is pretty big um, and important. But she, I think she brings uh, warmth and just crushes it the entire time. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, definitely a highlight. Again, I think having a um, strong 
supporting cast is what makes these action movies better. Yeah. You know, you look at some of Chuck Norris's best movies like Delta Force and uh, you go up and down with an amazing cast. Uh, Steven Seagal's better movies had an amazing cast, you know, out to uh, Above the Law had uh, Pam Greer Mm -hmm. in it and Henry Silva from Megaforce, Uh, you know, shit like that. So having a strong supporting cast is what's going to make the movie 10 times better. Also, uh, so not only will we get to the Sam Raimi connection later on in the movie, Apparently, Sam Raimi was hired by Universal Studios to be on set to keep an eye on John Woo. Oh. That if things fell apart, he could take over at a moment's notice. Oh, and that's interesting. He, yeah, Universal did not have a whole lot of faith in Johnny Woo. Um, but Sam and him really hit it off, and the rest is history. John Woo actually wanted to make—he passed on Face Off uh, to make this movie. And then and went then back around and, and made it? Yeah, yeah, and originally cast as uh, Chance Boudreaux uh, was Kurt Russell, but uh-huh. he, but they couldn't wait for Kurt, so they decided to make this movie a wow. Van Damme. That would vehicle. be such a different film, dude. Totally agree. <laughs> totally agree. Lord, I, I don't know if I would like it better. Or it, I think it would just be dramatically different, and that's fascinating about uh, Face Off. Now, this is his, his first you know, American movie, John Woo's first American movie. It's also my favorite uh, John Woo American film. I'm not really? the biggest Face Off fan, and I'm not the biggest Broken Arrow fan. I've watched oh. both of those movies millions of times. Um, would be open to re-watching Face Off, because like, I haven't seen it probably in 15-plus years or so. I got to rewatch it, but I always liked Hard Target better. He, I would say it. Both of those movies are two pretty damn good um, John Travolta mm. performances. Broken Arrow. John yeah. Travolta playing Nick Cage in one, and then John Travolta playing Nick Cage in the other one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> true. Um, I I enjoy both of those movies. I thought I thought he I thought Wind Talkers was pretty good too. Oh, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, but but I'm not. Uh, I obviously prefer his his. Um, Chinese films more, you know. Hard boiled, the killer, the usual. Yeah, better, better tomorrow, better tomorrow. Yeah, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Jinx. Yeah, um, <laughs> pretty much all the Chow Yun Fat stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, and again, he's because he's got Chow Yun Fat in it. It is interesting to me though that um, that Kurt Russell was supposed to originally be the lead. Van Damme's mullet in this is like very reminiscent of a Snake Plissken esque oh. hairstyle. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of makes sense. No, I can I can see that now. Yeah. And I remember when this was out, um we all all my friends, we all like Luke and I and everybody, we ca- we always cast Jean-Claude Van Damme from from this movie uh whenever we speculated on like X-Men and we wanted him to play Gambit, you know. We were cuz he, he's oh, perfect yeah, that's for good. Gambit right here. This right here would have been perfect for Gambit. He's he's long past it now unfortunately. So and so is Channing Tatum. Yeah, it's Tatum. really a shame. <laughs> it's really a shame about JCVD because you know, he's made up for a lot of his shortcomings and yeah. addictions and whatnot. And apparently he has a Netflix movie coming out um, pretty soon, which is exciting. Maybe that'll get him more attention. Yeah. I mean, the, we all know the story about why he kind of crashed and burned. He just became too successful yeah. overnight and didn't have a clear enough head to keep him, you know, clean and sober. And uh, so what could have been it had he, you know, taken more of a focused route 
yeah. in his career. We, we all know how much cocaine was done on the set of Street Fighter, the movie. That and the one with Dennis Rodman where there's... Double impact? Yeah, double... Double team? Double team. Yeah. <laughs> double team. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, uh, it was... um. What was the movie he did with uh, the, the the actress from um, Species, Natasha Henstridge? Oh, I feel like that was Double Team. Like, my gut's telling me that was Double Team. No, 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 no. That one, and it's, I actually really like this one. It's, I think it's directed by Ringo Lamb. Um, that one just got a Blu-ray edition as well. That one is called, before, as I'm trying to, think about it i know it maximum risk i oh, like that yeah. movie and that is another twin movie he plays a, he has a twin in that as, t- as well oh, yeah i, I always, like that one that's the one i always forget about i always remember double impact but i forget about maximum risk maximum risk is good it's good because it's got a lot of relatively unknown actors in it what year uh, was that and, and that was in 1996 okay so three years after this yeah, it's good. That's actually one of my favorite JCVD movies. I feel like I need to revisit that one, if not for anything other than Natasha Hendrickson, because I love her. I mean, who doesn't? Species, right? Am I right, guys? Am I right? Well, dare I say this is even better. Oh, oh my. Oh, my. For that reason. <laughs> but anyways, that's hard target in a hard nutshell. <laughs> Well, at least it was successful enough for uh, John Woo to circle back around and, and do face off later. You know, no one sort of took that from him. Yeah, I don't think this movie. I think this movie actually deserves more credit than it gets because a lot of people should just shit on it because, you know, of some of the one liners that are silly in the movie, but which I actually prefer. It's fun. It's a fun movie. It, it looks like everyone's having a good time. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. And just really quickly looking, it looks like the budget was about 18 mil, which is pretty pretty good. Um, and it grossed in the U.S. about 32 mil. I can see why. Yeah, that it didn't. It, it's not considered a huge explosion of of money right there. Not when action heroes are supposed to bring in hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, I did forget to mention one very forgettable character actor in the movie um people might not know who he is because you know he he i don't know he didn't do a whole lot of memorable stuff but um uh one one actor uh wilford <laughs> what's his name again wilford <sighs> is it wilford. is it is it wilford Beatus? is it <laughs> yeah well he did <laughs> wilford brimley <laughs> what Zach, why is he in this movie? And I'm not upset about it because he's fantastic. But why did he take this role? It seems so weird when you have, you know, like you have our house money coming at you. You got Beatus money coming at you. And here he is. at Quaker Oat money Quaker coming Oat at Quaker Oat money you? coming at you. He's Wilford Frimley, frickin' Brimley. He's a household name at this point. And he comes on the screen with an explosion of energy. He's not phoning it in at all. And you're like, why are you here? But at the same time, you're like, thank you for being here. But why did you take this this gig? And unfortunately, the, the Blu-ray has nothing on it. Yeah, it's really a shame because, you know, that's a really good point. Like, why did he take this role? It reminds me a little bit of back in the day. Shit, maybe he needed the money and he was he offered a good paycheck. Who knows? 
It reminds me of some of the B movies that we've already covered and that some that we will be covering in the future with, you know, like George Kennedy, like what the hell is he doing in this weird sci-fi movie? Or, you know, um, I don't know, Ernest Borgnine, what's he doing in this kind of weird retro Western futuristic saga movie? It's like that these, the, why did these, that, that was, that was something you saw more prevalent in the eighties than the nineties. Yeah. So for, for it to be in the nineties for Wilford Brimley to do a movie like this, shit, that's cool. Yeah. Cool with me. And you know, you, you never know, like he could have just been like, you know what? I, I want to buy a house for my daughter. I'm going to use this money for that. And then I'm going to work for like two weeks and be done with it. Like right? we, you know, enough actors personally. Um, and I've heard enough interviews, you know, that sometimes they take gigs, just little quick gigs, just to get a little, little injection of cash for some things that they need to do. You know, actually, that's really funny. You say that because by the time we record this, I'm uh, interviewing Sally Kirkland for $2 late fee. And uh, she had just won the Academy Award for a movie called Anna mm. and then did like a Roger Corman straight to video soft core flick uh, with like some serious SSC. <laughs> and uh, for th- for our fans out there who know the good old days of Cinemax when it told you what was in the movie. Yeah. And and uh, <laughs> and she's like, look, I was offered a ton of money and the director was a friend. Of- Roger Corman was a friend of mine. So I took the job, you know? Yeah. There you know, go. That sometimes that's all it takes. And then you go off into a strong sexual content history or you go off and become a crazy Uncle Duvet. And it's funny because sometimes I don't even think of Wilford Brimley in this movie because he melts completely into that character that, and it's such a fun character that I just think of that character, you know? And I'm some, almost every time I watch the movie, I'm shocked that it's Wilford Brimley. I'm like the guy from the thing in our house. Really? <laughs> yeah. Which did you ever watch our house back in the day? Oh, I watched it. Yeah. I'm sure I, I watched it more often than not. Wasn't it on the same time that like life goes on was on? And yeah. All those and, other and shit, Val- shit. Valerie and shit like that. The Hogan family, all those the dramas, yeah. yeah, like dramedies where there's like yeah. a little bit of humor in there. Mm-hmm. I did like Life Goes On though, but yeah, our house was good too. Uh, yeah, and you know, here's the thing: you look up Wilford Brimley gifs. The first gif that will probably pop up is him on his horse. <laughs> yeah, because it's our target, and it's him. So, it's not a fucking stunt man. It's him riding the horse no. with an explosion behind him because he fucking he's like ah, it's great. Yeah. Wolford Wolford Brimley from Remo Williams. (laughs) Oh, shit. All right. Well, we covered the the director. We covered the writer. We covered all the fun casts. We're going to... We're going to mention some as they pop up, you know. (laughs) You know who I'm going to talk about when... uh, (laughs) See our Mallrats review. And uh, (laughs) all right, buddy boy. Should we hunt what we cannot kill? Yeah, let's do that. You know what? I want to say one thing. This is me, Jean-Claude Van Damme. I just want to say, are you hungry? Are you hungry? Are you hungry for the hard target? Because you're going to get it. You're going to get it right now. Yeah. Wink, kick. Wink, kick. (laughs) In the city of New Orleans, in a darker side of Dixie, Away from the music and the lights, there's a new game in town. You'll be provided with a guide, trackers, and the weapons of your choice. I need to file a missing person report. The competitors 
are deadly. We pride ourselves in hunting only combat veterans, men who have the necessary skills to make our hunts more interesting. And they always win. You want to find your father? Get somebody who knows the city to show you around. Now, the opposition is about to get one last chance. What kind of a name is Chance? My mama took one. Our friend, Mr. Boudreaux. Silver Star, Marine Forced Recon. He's obviously not someone we should underestimate. He is an annoying little insect. Now I'm stepped on hard. We need to get out of here now. Ladies first. What? These men will chase after you. Be mad at you for business or pleasure. Both. Look at it this way. You're gonna get to meet Elvis. Give it a rest, pal. Jean-Claude Van Damme is the hard target. You miss me? From internationally acclaimed action director John Woo. Hospital to be hunted! You tell me! Hard target. All right, Universal logo coming up. The movie starts with a POV shot of a man running through the French Quarter of New Orleans, banging on doors in the rain. All of a sudden, a metal arrow comes flying through the air and hits a door inches away from his head. He slowly moves away from the door and looks back to see a man holding a crossbow next to a car and a group of goons on motorcycles staring at him. Another arrow comes flying through the air and it turns into the hard target title. Better than split second. Better than cyborg. <laughs> better than cyborg. Already better than cyborg. Oh yeah, no doubt. The homeless man starts running through the city. Uh, Lance Henriksen, Fushan, and Arnold Voslo, Pick, and his men are in pursuit. They chase the homeless man, who we later find out is Douglas Bender, so I'm just going to refer to him as, as Douglas Bender now. Um, Natasha Bender's dad. Uh, they chase him down to a small dock on the river. Fushan says to the guy with the crossbow, if he makes it to the river, he's won. We can't allow that to happen. Man, I can't do Lance Hendrickson's voice. It's amazing in this movie, by the way. Yeah, he's got this, like, uh, kind of gravel, you know, snarl. <clears throat> right? <laughs> I can't do it either. <laughs> like... you got the... He's got this, like, gravel snarl thing going on, you know, and it's like, look, guys, you're going to do what you're told. Otherwise, you're going down. A little bit of Gary Busey in there, too. Mm. And and the weird thing is, your voice is, like, so smooth, you have no gravel in it whatsoever because you haven't been smoking cigarettes your entire life like Lance Henriksen. Ah, cigarettes. It's, if they didn't kill us, man, I would still be smoking them today because I love Cigarettes, them. they make you sound cool. <laughs> they do. And they make you look cool. Just watch any John Woo movie with Chai Yun Fat. <laughs> you heard it here first, kids. Start Smoke. smoking cigarettes exactly. now. Take it from a former kindergarten teacher. Mm. Why do I sound like fucking Sling Blade right now? F fucking mm. Sling Blade. <laughs> uh, Bender tries to put up a fight, and he actually, you know, kind of does, which is cool. Uh, he even takes out one of the motorcycle goons, uh, but he's ultimately shot down and killed on the dock. Uh, he's, he was felled by, by two arrows, um, and he kind of crashes through one of the plies uh, on, on the dock, 
goes halfway down, another arrow comes flying through the air, shoots him, goes right through him, and pierces his dog tag, and he falls into the water. Yeah, I just want to go back two things that pointed, I wanted to point out about this this opening. One, he's climbing a fence at one point and gets like knocked off by, or knocked off the fence or onto the ground by a motorcycle. In his fall, or whoever that stunt double is, takes a nasty fall. Like yeah. it, it looks painful the way he hits his head on the ground. Uh, first oh, of all, oh, was it was it the was it one of the was it actually the first one when he was climbing the fence and the the, the motorcycles were sort of chasing him? Yes, yeah. that's yeah. it. Yep, you're yeah. right, doll, dude. That, so intense. Yeah. The, by the way, the stunt work in this movie, I'll just say it now. Uh, John Woo has no problem showing you like the stunt man's faces, like even though it's supposed to be JCVD. And that's probably one of the biggest problems I've always had with this movie and with Face Off. But if you can just kind of push it away and not care about it, the stunts that he actually captures on film in slow motion are pretty freaking amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And um, I was going to point out, too, that uh, Bender looks just like Mick Foley. In this. Yes, yes, he does. Because I texted you that, and you or you, I texted. I, I was like, he's the poor man's Chris Christopherson, and you're like, no, he's the poor man's Mick Foley. And I was like, oh, you're right, that's it. I, I see that one more so now. Yeah, I was like, holy shit, is he missing an ear? <laughs> yeah, seriously, and a tooth. Did it come out of his yeah, nose? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I know mankind, baby. I know what's up. Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they drag uh, Bender's body out of the water and pick cuts off uh cuts a pouch off of his waist fushan offers the guy with the crossbow a drink he says uh it's like a drug isn't it to bring a man down was it worth it the crossbow guy says every nickel fade to black that crossbow guy by the way i mean i didn't track his name but he's that dude has been like a stunt stunt double in everything <laughs> yeah, because if you look at his IMDb, he's got a lot of credits, but he's not, uh, yeah, like a named character. I think he's mostly a stuntman, which makes sense. I think a lot of the guys in this movie are just stunt guys, but John Woo gives them a lot of like screen time and whatnot. I'm sure they were yeah. probably thrilled to be on, like, to be getting that much screen time as a, as a pretty much like as a stunt guy. Oh shit! Um, on uh, when I did the uh, crow discussion with Tess mm. on OCD podcast and I talked about how uh is that even available anymore who knows yeah it is it is okay cool cool uh when I talked about in the scene with all the different gangbangers or in in uh you know what Michael Wincott's lair yeah. mm-hmm. I'm like oh there there's Mexican Mexican number two yeah. mullet number three yeah uh, white trash number four. Especially that guy that like is looking by the, under the table with the one with the glasses and the, and the hat yes. on, and then yes. he just gets he gets shot in the head, and it's like he's you you can tell he's a stunt man, and I, I feel like we've gotten better um as filmmakers now about sort of hiding this the the obvious stunt man, but this movie this is Hard Target 1993 is prime stuntman movie time basically well you're bringing up a really good point that peter jason our upcoming interview um which is phenomenal by the way by the time you hear this it should be on on patreon if not really close to it okay cool yeah it um he he brought up a good point because you know there were actors and there were stuntmen and it was you you were either one or the other right not both and I think the 90s still had that going on. Nowadays, 
dudes who are stuntmen are the lead actors pretty much in movies. Jason you know? Statham, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Scott Adkins, who was in Hard Target Part 2, no offense to the dude, but, you know, you can tell he's like, he was a martial artist turned actor, but probably could have been a stuntman, you know? So most of the time, you, these guys would be just doing the stunts. Mm-hmm. And now Wu was like kind of giving them lead parts. And, and like, cool. act- and actually giving them like close up camera shots and stuff. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, me too. I do too. Uh cut of to Na- you do. <laughs> cut to Natasha driving her convertible Trans Am, right? Is that what that was? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> what kind of well with Michigan plates, so I'm like, oh she's she's white trash. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm from Michigan, so I can say that. <laughs> exactly. I was gonna say, you're from Michigan, you know. You know what's up. Uh mm-hmm. she's kind of driving She's from Livonia. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> she's kind of driving it into New Orleans and then drives around the French Quarter. Uh she stops at a house and knocks on the door. An old lady answers and she says she's looking for Douglas Bender. Uh she says she's her daughter. Uh, the lady said he moved out because he kind of like owed her rent, um, and she said he didn't have to pay it right away. But he, you know, and they're kind of building up that he's an honorable man. You know, um, he lost his job at the oil company. Uh, the lady says she, she left a box uh, that Douglas left a box behind, and she gives it to N- Natasha. They open it up, and inside are some pictures of her as a little kid with with her dad uh, Bender, and uh, also we see that he was a Marine too. I want to note those photos because there's a callback later and she has a much more fondness look. And I'm like, aren't those the same photos? Can, can you note that lady's got the, the most 80 yard voice in the entire like world, the old lady that runs this house? So much so that I actually speculate because there's some shots, you know, there's some master shots where you can see their voice doesn't match. I almost speculate that they had to ADR stuff to kind of um, maybe rework the the script, and it wasn't the same script at the time, and they were like, oh, let's make Benders. Like, I feel like they, they were switching things around, and that's why she's ADR'd, but this old lady here has the most ADR'd voice ever. This old lady, she's ADR'd. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like shit. So eliminate her voice and get somebody else. Someone like Kathleen Turner. That was good, dude. I was like, is he going to be able to stick the landing? And he did. And that's why you are a goddamn professional, my man. Hell yeah. Uh, Audition for them all, book nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Natasha asks if the lady lady knows where dad is now. And uh, she she suggests a homeless shelter. At the homeless shelter. uh, (laughs) Wait, I just... (laughs) She's like, check... The homeless shelter, you bitch. Hey, um, I'm looking for my dad. Yeah, I would check the homeless shelter. Fuck you. How dare you? I think they said it a bit more eloquently. In the they did. Than I, did. I, <laughs> I, so I, I paraphrased that one a little bit. You know, I'm looking for my dad. He's been missing. I don't know. Maybe check a hospital, check a church, check a homeless shelter. <laughs> you look like trash. Check a homeless shelter. <laughs> you know what? Your Get dad was trash too. <laughs> he couldn't pay his rent. Get out of here. Give me your blue Trans Am and march on, boogie on home. <laughs> and your insanely thick eyebrows. I mean, I love Yancey Butler. I think she's great, but those things are wild. 
I was going to let it live there for a minute. <laughs> I was going to let it live. I should probably cut that in case we have an interviewer. <laughs> no, it's all good. Well, like, nah, sure. bro, it's all good. Bro. No, I mean, she probably would admit that too. She'd probably be like, oh yeah, <laughs> those were thick. <laughs> those were the mid-90s eyebrows. Yep. Uh, at said homeless shelter. <laughs> that probably wasn't said. Uh, Natasha shows her dad's picture to Elijah Roper. Uh, he was in the military too. And recognizes her dad was a recon marine. Uh, she asks if he knows her dad. Elijah does, sort of. He says he's a nice guy, comes around here every once in a while. Natasha asks if he knows where her dad lives. And I love this because Elijah kind of has to break it to her nicely. He kind of looks at her and he's like, that her, that her father's homeless. And he's like, he's he, he, and he, he does it nicely. He kind of breaks it to her nicely. And then there's this kind of shock on her face as she's like looking around and you see like other homeless people. And then it kind of just like sort of fades a little bit, to, uh, fades to black. But I was like, yeah, I thought that was kind of neat that nice that he was nice about it, you know? Well, yeah. And, and that guy, that character is really well written um, because you have a lot of sympathy, sympathy for him. And then um, he, the, the guy who plays that character, the actor, is really good. Well, uh, now, Willie C. Carpenter. I I was going to talk about him because I, I, I love him in this movie. But then I'm looking through his IMDb credits, and I realize that I don't really think I've seen him in anything else. Although he's been in a bunch of stuff that I have seen. I don't know. So I'm probably always just thinking of this movie. But he left yeah. such an impression on me in this movie, and I really enjoyed him. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, yeah, you have a lot of sympathy for him. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, you, you can read a lot in in a, in a, in a character's in an actor's eyes, uh, and he's got like very sympathetic eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got very warm eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> We're in a mood today, guys. No, We're I know. Saucy. I don't know what's going on, but it's saucy. It's funny. Saucy. <laughs> I, you know, I never know where these episodes are going to go. I don't know what our jokes are going to be. It's just we see where they go. And tonight's a saucy night. <laughs> <laughs> we are all over the place in a good way. It's, all, it's probably all the gumbo. Woo! Oh, Jesus. If it is, then we're going to be recording this episode on the toilet. Oh, God, I know. Um, hard target? Ugh, the hard target is the bottom of the toilet. Can I ask you something real quick? Should, I ask this, should have asked this at the beginning. Have you ever been to New Orleans? I have. I went to New Orleans pre-Katrina and pre-Katrina and post-Katrina. Um, yeah, I went to a wedding there the same year as Katrina and um, was was thoroughly unimpressed. <laughs> you know, my, my boy Jonathan, Jonathan Bowles, uh, who is a, a New Orleans, uh, you know, Louisiana boy through and through, Dirty South. Uh, he loves it down there. It's just not for me. It's not for me. I'm not into the. I'm into the the Anne Rice, creepy side, voodoo side of of New Orleans. Yeah. But um, you know, there's so many tourists down down there that just want to get trashed. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's just not for me. It's not for me. Then I went back years later with Kristen and her dad, and 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 had a great time uh, down there because we explored more of the. The, the the less touristy, more just like um, cultural side of New Orleans. And it was great. I loved it. So it's like a yin-yang, if you will. How about you? You ever been down to New Orleans? Oh, it's, it's funny. 
same as you, twice, once pre-Katrina, once post-Katrina, uh, once for a wedding as well. I think that was the post-Katrina, I believe. Um, I like the food. I wanted to love the city more than I did, yeah. probably yeah. because of Hard Target. I had kind of high expectations of things. Guys, all my filters have always been through movies. I moved to L.A. because I was just enamored with with films and stuff and, and the mystique of it. Um, yeah. That's just the way my, my brain works. Um, but I will say, man, I love the fucking Cajun food, man. I love etouffee. I love gumbo, po'boys, all that stuff. But I guarantee you now it would destroy my stomach. Oh, hell yeah. And I will say, I love the locals. The yeah. locals are great. Well, I, I think the um, thing is, is that you go visit a city like that, it's better to do the non-touristy stuff. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you and I, I mean, I know I haven't, but you and I, we've never been there for Mardi Gras either. No. And I don't I want went to. There, I kind of I kind of do and I kind of don't. I guess this, they did a cool thing this year with, with COVID, They where they had like the floats on the lawn and you could like do a driving Oh, that's driving cool. Driving Mardi okay. Gras. Yeah. Okay. So that's cool. All right. Yeah, that's cool. That town's been through hell, so yeah, it, so I give it lots of love. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. No, I got I got no hate for that town. I I I, I just I, hate on the tourists. I, it's it's really that's what it really boils down to. It's just touristy shit just always sucks. No matter where you go, don't do the tourist shit, you know. That's right. And you know what's probably not on the tourist uh <laughs> route is the Half Moon Utility Restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> that we cut to a shitty looking diner on the outside. Uh, we see we meet Chance. He's sitting at a counter table eating gumbo. The waitress asks how his gumbo is. And these are the first lines. This is the first line in the movie from from our, our pal JCVD. And what does he say, Zach? A tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But then he goes, the coffee's decent. <laughs> and then dude, the dude. I Dude. know, I know. He's yeah, he's trying to play it. He's trying to play it more subtle than his other roles, I think. But I think he doesn't know how to play subtle, so he just lowers his voice. Yeah, he lo- because when he's at the dock later, getting his uh, uh, papers to, to go, you know, to sail away. At first, his 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 lines are just so quick and explosive, and he's like on fire in yeah. that scene. This yeah. is, is like a tragedy, like. I don't know. There, I felt like there needed to be more setup or something. It just, it's. It, it, I get it. I get it. But I like when he doesn't have enough money to pay. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So, Anyways, so she's like, that. yeah. She's like, uh, you know, and, and the coffee, the, the coffee will cost you. And he, and he says something like, and she's like, don't use the whole like I left my tuxedo, my wallet in my tuxedo. And he's like, I, I used that before. And she's like, yeah, on the gumbo. And he's like, right. Yeah, and that, that's the worst line. I, he delivers it terribly. And I think he's better throughout the film, but I think right here, when he says, like, right, it's so bland. Yeah, it's just flat. It's just, yeah, it doesn't land for me. It's not taking away my love of the movie. I'm just no. being honest. Yeah, yeah. no, it, I almost get the feeling that they shot, like, it almost doesn't feel like his character at this point. Like he's too subtle. No. Like it's it's like they shoot. This was like the very first thing they shot with him. And then John Liu probably like looked at the dailies and he was like, "Let's bring the energy up a little bit on on your acting here, you know?" Because he does improve throughout the rest of the movie. But I'm a hundred percent with you. This start is a bit low. Yes, yes. But he picks up. He does. Yeah, he does. 
Picks up the damage. And the van so, damage. And he slides her. I counted it. It was 60 cents with penny, like pennies, quarters, nickels, and dimes. It was 60 cents. And the, and the waitress lady with the, the sweetest high top you've ever seen, she just laughs and walks away because this whole town, you got to understand, this whole town loves Chance Boutro. They all love him, especially the ladies, because he's so nice to them. With that oily, crunchy, gel-fused hair. God, that thing has to be just hard as a rock. We see Natasha walk into the diner and stand by the counter next to Chance, and she's got her money out like a moron, just straight up like counting it in her hands. You can see other people looking around. You can see what, you know, is the two stunt guys that will come into play later. You can see them looking at her. And, man, if you just pan the camera over the entire crowd for like two seconds, I could literally point out who were going to be stuntmen in that crowd. Like, they just look like it. It's insane. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but Chance knows, you know, she's going to get into some trouble. So uh, he goes outside, kind of walks outside. You don't know if he's going to, like, sort of leave her or, or whatever, but he knows she's going to get in trouble, flashing all that money, he kind of leaves. Um, and he, he kind of eyeballs a couple goons, eyeballing her, essentially. Outside the diner, Natasha kind of she starts walking away back to her car. She tries to get back in the car, but is surrounded by four thugs from the diner. They take her purse, but when she fights back, one of the guys slaps her across the face, sending her flying. Chance walks up and says to the goons, you having fun? He helps Natasha kind of into her car, and he kind of tells her it's okay. I like it when he kind of like, you know, he grabs her by the arm. She's like, she's ready to sort of like scream and attack him, but he's like, yeah. And he kind of just sort of takes, you know, gently takes her into the into the car and tells her it's going to be okay. It's okay, baby. It's okay. My hair will make it okay. <laughs> One of the goons pulls out a switchblade, and Chance says, take your dick stick and your boyfriend and find a busk to catch. Chance then roundhouse kicks the guy with the switchblade and the guy holding Natasha's bur- purse both in the face. He then sweep kicks a guy that was on the hood of Natasha's car. He kind of jumps up there. He sweep kicks that guy. That guy falls on his back. Another guy comes running up with a bottle in his hand, and Chance hits him in the chest with the guy's foot that's on the car. It's awesome. He then breaks the bottle over over that guy's head and sending him flying into a metal pole. The guy that had the purse tries to kick Chance, but then he sweeps his legs out. And then the guy with the knife charges, but Chance sort of does this cool-ass dodge, and he kicks him in the back of the head and kicks him through the damn window, the window of the diner. Finally, the purse guy tries one more attack and swings a pipe at Chance, who dodges it, breaks the guy's arm, and sends him fucking spinning. Chance then gives Natasha her purse and says, next time, be more careful when you show your wallet. She looks shocked, and he kind of, like, walks off. So we got our first real, like, JCVD action scene here. What did you think of it? Great way to introduce him in the movie. I wish they would have just, like, cut his lines in that diner scene and simply said, Chance, you know, they could have easily just said, you know, uh, all right, Chance. What's the verdict on the gumbo? You know, you're the you're the you're the master. And he could have just said a tragedy, and then she could have said, "All right, well, how about you owe me for the coffee, and we'll call it even." Damn. And he throws down the money, and then that's it. And he, or you know, 
and then that's it. And he walks yeah. out and he looks at her and does the whole deal. No, and that's, totally that's infinitely quiet. better. That's infinitely better. You Thank literally you. just on the spot came up with something infinitely better than Douglas Bender wrote. Yeah, yeah, because because you don't need less is more. Yeah. you know, with JCVD, I think more. I think that's the case with JCVD for sure. No doubt, because he's so great with his facial expressions, and uh, and then that that fight scene is fantastic. He kicks the shit out. Of, he does everything you want him to do in that scene. Everything the way he kicks the guy off the motorcycles, you know, his face or whatever. Not the uh, sorry when he, the way he breaks that guy's arm. Yeah, you know, and, and with the reaction on his face and the. It's classic, classic Van Damme. Yeah. Uh, I love or, it. I love the whole, the whole thing. Or the way he like the guy who kind of goes at him with the knife and he spins around. Like I tracked it, dude. There were like five camera angles for just that, and John Woo like does one shot slow motion, and then when he connects it, he speeds it up. And I'm like, this is so engaging and so exciting. I miss action movies like this. Yeah, I'm not a fan of. I'd rather see fighting than guns honestly because i feel like it takes more it just i want to see martial art movies again on yeah. the big screen not on netflix yeah you know? yeah I'm which with is you, where dude. they are now like thrillers thrillers and action movies are relegated to netflix now yep it's a shame because it's all just marvel dc and star wars movies in the theater now yep yep, yep. And, and dudes who dudes who can go but like i miss the good old days of you know, larger than life guys. And Van Damme was not larger than life. The guy was like five foot seven. He's tiny, but he had an aura about him. We don't have auras anymore about our guys. We have legit actors like, you know, Nick Cage changed. He was a game changer with that. Yeah. We're like, oh, we're going to start seeing, uh, you know, guys who actually can act doing action movies. Well, I want to see guys who... (laughs) Like, don't don't give me this whole like. Well, what about Scott Atkins? Because I know he's everywhere, you know, and he's got a huge podcast and a big following. But he's not. It's not Van Damme. It's not the same. It's yeah. Not the same. No, I, I'm I'm hundred percent with you, buddy. We, I mean, you and I grew up in the same era, dude. We we want our our larger than life action heroes back, and yeah, we got John Wick and everything. Although, ironically. He's a, he's a, an actor from that era as well. Like he's not even like a new actor. We don't have any new like you know you know people are like oh well Batista is an action guy. I get, but no one's doing karate. Like no one's doing fucking kung fu and shit. You know it's all just punching them like the rock or you know tackling them or something. We don't get this stuff. We don't get a freaking arm bar that breaks a guy's arm and then spins him around and then you kick this guy in the head and sending him through. You just don't get these. You don't get kicks anymore, dude. We don't get kicks anymore yeah yeah and i get it that people like jason statham and people like uh i don't know what vin diesel and people like batista uh, all those batista, guys then that's cool but but yeah no we don't yeah it's just not the same it's just yeah. there's not one guy who carries the movie yeah it's now an ensemble everything's got to be an ensemble because that's proof that one guy can't carry the movie unless you're paul rudd <laughs> Paul, Rudd can Paul Rudd kick. can't kick, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. Know. God damn, give us somebody that can kick. God damn it. Uh, all right, back to Hard Target. Back to the kicks, baby. Come on, uh, baby. So we cut to a police station, and we see that there's a picket line out front. Uh, the cops are on strike. This reminds me of Shades of RoboCop Two and everything, and RoboCop One because they were talking about going on strike and everything there. Um, but for this movie it really works 
because they, you know, this is why they're able to operate, you know, Fushan and Pick and his men are able to operate in New Orleans. And you almost kind of start thinking, did they plant some kind of seeds to kind of fuck with the police here in order for them to do their thing? I don't know. It doesn't matter. You can sort of insert that if you want. That's my head cannon. But it's, it's cool world building. There's always something going on in this movie. Yeah, they cool world building, but I feel like it's dropped a little bit. Yeah. They dropped the ball because on one hand, they got a guy, spoiler, I know I'm spoiling a little bit ahead, but they got one guy who the coroner, you know, who deals with uh, mm-hmm. covering up the deaths. But what if like the chief of police was uh, one of the guys in the crew? That would have been made. That would have made more sense. Pull, pull a you know? pull a Fletch at the end, huh? Pull a, have yeah. the chief of police a part of it. Little Joe Don Baker, what's it gonna be, Fletch? <laughs> I'm, I'm hey, gonna go is be. I'm gonna Tommy be, Lasorda. I'm yeah. gonna go be a senator now. Come on now. Don't right. fuck with Joe Don Baker, JDB. I love Joe Don Baker. So do I. But apparently, don't don't shit on his B movies because he's like he'll kick you he'll kick your teeth in. Uh, inside, we see Detective Mitchell at her desk working alone, and unfortunately- Mitchell. That's funny. <laughs> Was it? Because that's a Joe Don Baker character. Mitchell. Oh Mitchell, oh. <laughs> we've had we have a lot of synchronicities going on tonight that like I don't see coming. You know what I mean? Uh, it's something. There's something in the air tonight. Cue cue the Phil Collins. Phil Collins. I can feel it coming with JCVD VD. Hey hey, you me cocky tubs. Let's do this. Are you hungry? I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> All right, so she, Mitchell, Detective Mitchell's having her fucking birthday alone, of course, with her Cinnabon, with her fucking like little cake thing that's uh, <laughs> she's got a candle in it. Look, it looked know, like a like, Cinnabon that looks, thing. That looks good. I, I kind of wanted it though. I want it too. I love Cinnabon. I know, me too. I can't eat it because no. it's like a million calories. No, but. it would kill you. That would go through your stomach. You of all people, that would go through your stomach like fucking glass. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> You're man. like, oh, yeah, I can't eat sugar at all. Uh, Natasha- I really shouldn't. I'm not supposed to. I got the beatus. I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, Natasha interrupts her to report her father is missing. Detective Miss Mitchell asks for a picture, but she only has the old one. Natasha only has that old one. Mitchell asks for an address, and Natasha says she thinks her dad was homeless. Mitchell says uh, there's nothing she can do because generally, in order to be considered missing, there has to be somewhere you're missing from. Uh, she, too, suggests that Natasha canvasses the local missions and shelters, a.k.a. homeless shelters. Uh, but she also suggests that Natasha gets somebody who knows the city to show her around. Otherwise, she'll be filling out one of those missing person reports on her. And then Natasha leaves. Down at the shipping docks, this is the part Wait, you were talking about where... where what? You gotta, you gotta finish that cake scene. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah. She sticks the, she takes the cake when, uh, when Nat walks in and sticks it in the drawer with the candle lit, by the way, mind you. And they actually call back to that after she leaves. She pulls it out and her, and her cake is like almost on fire. Yeah. And uh, and then she blows out the candle because I love that shot. Mm-hmm. She looks at the, she makes a wish and she blows out the candle kind of scene and they fade out from that moment. And it's really cool. It's like it gives that character a little bit of depth in, in, in a subtle, silent way. 
and knowing what's coming, it's also very somber. Oh, yeah. Because she blew, blew out, out the candle. The blew out the candle of her life. Because she lived a life like a candle in the wind. wind. <laughs> uh, and, oh, right, my God. When You remember when Princess Diana died? Yes. And, and every single fucking radio station played that goddamn song to death. Yes. And then he, at her funeral, sang that song. Yes. And everybody was like, oh, God, gutted. Yes. I remember all of that, and I didn't care about any of it. I didn't care either, because look, folks, people die every single fucking day. And what about the people no one knows about? That's Princess right. Princess Diana, yeah, I get it. She was a good person, but there's a million good people that die all the time we don't even know about. Yeah. We're, we're not impressed by celebrities. No. Or, As or Sean people... Whalen said, the only difference between you and me is you see me on your phone, you see me on your tablet, you see me on your computer, you see me on your TV. We're, but we're all just freaking carbon-based life forms. We're all just sentient electricity trying to figure out how to make our way through the universe. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> You guys don't get to see the look on Zach's face. Like, it just him, the gears trying to process what I just said. He's like, sentient electricity. I'm not, he's like, I'm not, I can, I know Zach so long now that I can tell when he's like, I'm not even going to go down this road. Just going to agree and move on. <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to put, put this, uh, I'm going to put this, this, this scene from this Bugs Bunny cartoon in your head as to every time someone says something that just kind of goes through me and I don't understand, or I'm just like, huh? Uh, do you remember the cartoon when Bugs Bunny meets Yosemite Sam for the first time and Yosemite Sam says, draw, right? Yeah. And Bugs Bunny draws a gun and goes, right? And shoots at Yosemite Sam. And Yosemite Sam, they cut to him drawing and he's got his tongue sticking out of his mouth and the piano's <laughs> playing, but it's totally off key. It's like, ding, 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 ding. He's like making all sorts of mistakes because he, he can't do it. Like, right? That's my brain. That's my brain when I don't process something. I'm like, ding, 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 draw. And you're, you're, the tongue was kind of sticking out too. So that kind of was. It was. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me today in studio is co-host Oh, hey, Dean. hey, Tim. Dean. Huh? Uh, this isn't a full episode. This is actually just an ad. All we have to do is tell everyone that our podcasts come out on Mondays and they can find us on their favorite podcatcher. If they're into movies, comics, or video games, they should definitely check us out. Oh, well then, thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you next time. Talking Back. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. And now, back to the show. All right. 
down to the docks <laughs> where where chance comes alive or i should i should say jcvd comes alive he's not as sleepy in this scene I he does say. this is mm-hmm. actually one of my favorite scenes acting wise for him yeah he's solid here so uh he's so he's waiting to hear if he's been chosen uh for like a position on a fishing boat and i think it's like a one of those things where they kind of go out to sea for a long period of time and then they're they're not like it's not like a daily thing i think they're out there for a bit you know uh they're only about there's about 12 spots i think and it looks like there's about 40 guys you know kind of waiting to see if their names are going to get called off you know that's got to suck um i I do think this movie does a good job of trying to it doesn't just say if you're poor and you're homeless, you suck. Like a lot of movies do. They just say, if you're poor and homeless, you suck. This is like really trying to show the the people who are on the lower income side of things that they are also honorable as well, that they're good people as well, and that they're not people that we should just automatically dismiss and shit on. I, I think there's an... It's, and I think that's why this movie really works, because it really does try to not marginalize these people and actually tries to make them into heroes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really have much to add about that. I I, I agree. I think uh, that that theme from the original story, The Most Dangerous Game, mm-hmm. which is a story that I think that was written in like the 1930s or something. And, and, and has Long been turned into ago. a gazillion movies, you know. Yeah, Surviving a Game is which, another good one. Which, which came we out both love. Later. You and I both we, love that movie. Yeah, I, I mean, we sure do. Um uh, I actually haven't seen that since it came out, so I'd love to revisit it. So, dude, we are 100% exactly the same on that. Me and my buddies, Luke and Jason, we all watched it, I believe, when it first came out on, on VHS, and we all loved it. We were like, this fucking is awesome. And then I've never seen it since, but all I have is memories of loving that fucking movie. Yeah, another great cast. Yep, exactly. Uh, but then try to cast a a non-fighter guy, a nice T. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was to have seen. You know, good old, yeah. good old iced tea. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, same like this idea, like, um, you know, taking advantage of the people that that quote unquote don't matter in this world. But guess what? They do, and they'll come back and they'll kick your ass. And it, sometimes poor people get bored too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. One of the not better lines in the entire film. Uh, Natasha drives up in her sweet Trans Am, her baby blue Trans Am, and uh, starts talking to Chase. Chase Chance. Uh, she says that uh, the waitress at the cafe said he might be down here. I like that. I like that she she said where she, you know how she found him. Uh, Natasha wants to pay Chance a hundred dollars a day. He asks what for. She says for a hundred dollars. Does it matter? He says it does. Actually, it does. I fucking loved that. Um, she says it's to help her find someone. Uh, but just then, Chance's name is finally called. Uh, of course, they do say, they say Butro C. You don't know his name is actually Chance yet, uh, which is great. He says he'd love to help her, but it looks like he's going to be out of town for a long time. Chance walks up to the captain and hands him his papers. The captain says that he thought Chance was blackballed after breaking the the last captain's jaw. Chance says he's been reinstated with the company, but the captain says uh, stops him from boarding and says, but not with the union. He still has $217 in dues to pay. Chance says to take it out of this job, and the captain says, you know the rules. Nobody ships out if they are in arrears. But he kind of like is like, you know, it's kind of nice. He's like, look, you know, we... 
we don't ship out for a week. If you can have the money, you know, for me, then you know you can ship out. He he seems like a kind of a cool guy. Um, he's about to close the door, and Chance is like, "I'll have the money." And if I was the captain, I'd be like, "Great, either have the money or don't have the money." But I'm closing the fucking door. You don't yeah. need to have the last word on this thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hands off the merchandise, son. Exactly. Uh, but Natasha's kind of like starting to drive away, and she's blocked by a forklift, like a loader type of thing. And as it moves out of the way, she sees Chance standing in her path. It looks really cool, you know, like kind of has a little bit of a Western music thing going on. Well, I, I do want to point out, and uh, it's worth noting, uh, that the composer is uh, Graham, Graham Ravel. Uh, who did The Crow. Mm. He did The Saint. He did uh, Womb Raider. I'm sorry, Tomb Raider. Uh, <laughs> Pineapple Express. I love that movie. Um, I love The Crow he, more, though. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, a, a, a shit ton of uh, soundtracks. So... Um, I did you, know, you like them? I liked the music in this movie. I thought it was well done. It, had, it, it gave it a vibe, you know? I totally do, and I'm gonna bring it back later because because the I think the because there's two uh, composers credited with uh, the other one is Tim Simonatek Simonatek uh, who's done Star Trek, John Carter, uh, War of the Planet of the Apes, Spider Man. He worked in the music department. Okay. Anyways, I, I feel like the 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 last. 20 minutes of this movie, the, the music changes dramatically. Mm, mm, okay. it, it goes from like Bayou score yeah. to suddenly die hard to suddenly uh, like it, 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 the, the score is all over the place at the end, in my opinion. No, you're, you're right because it's, it's the Bayou stuff that I like in this movie that kind of gives it that flavor and it is gone at the end. I, although I didn't really notice it, but I do notice it once you said it. Well, they even go into like aliens at one point with yeah. that ding, 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 ding at the ding, end. Ding, ding. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, whoa, 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 stop the clock. So suddenly they like, that probably was something they did after the fact. Yeah, yeah, maybe put it. Because they some... were doing like a cool Ry Cooter. It's totally like Ry Cooter esque. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. who did all of uh, Walter Hill's best movies. So. Yeah. No, dude, I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally with you there, man. Um, but right now, I'm, I'm definitely digging the music here. Um, yeah, ditto. He walks next to the car and asks if the guy she's looking for owes her money or something. She says he's her dad. Uh, He says he'll take the job. He'll help her for two days for exactly $217. Uh, She says it's a deal and says he can drive. (laughs) But Jance kind of stops her and says he doesn't have a driver's license. And I liked how he he delivered this because he delivered this like sheepishly, you know? It was great. No, it was great. It was great. Yeah, that was cool. So as they're driving through town, Natasha asks, so what's your name? <laughs> he says, Chance Boudreaux, what's your name? She goes, it's Nat. He goes, Nat? Your parents named you for a bug? <laughs> she goes, no, actually, it's short for Natasha. What kind of yeah, name she is- looks all offended, she too, does, by the way. She does. She goes, what kind of name is Chance? Well. My mama took one. I mean, dude, that line, though, is awesome, and everybody knows it. You could literally go up to probably most anybody and say, what movie is the line my mama took one from? And they'd probably say Hard Target or at least Jean-Claude Van Damme. It's just so – on one hand, it's it's funny – 
On the other hand, it's 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 corny. It it, it checks off several boxes of enjoyment. <laughs> yes, yeah, all good, like all 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 good things. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it's like a gobstopper. It has a little bit of good stuff inside. <laughs> you crank, and then you crack your crown on it and you're like Fuck, yeah you do go back to the dentist <laughs> yeah, fucking fucking gobstoppers man fucking jcvd my mama took one gobstopper <laughs> God damn it uh he then asks uh you know how she lost how she lost her papa uh she said he how moved lost your papa how did you lose your papa he calls her daddy and papa um, <laughs> yeah, mama, mimi, mumu, poo-poo, pee-pee. Yeah, well, well, the funny thing is, she says a- after the, her mom and dad got divorced, he moved away when she was seven, and then she kind of says that you know, like she she kept in touch with him via pay- like letters and stuff. But like I was like, my parents got divorced when like I was like five or six, or like why my dad didn't become a homeless man. Like I just feel like there should have been more explanation here, you know. But I do want to call out. As we see them driving, uh, they're in kind of like a little bit of a nicer area. And we see uh, New Orleans has these trolleys that ride through like the median strip down some of these uh, uh, roads. And when I was visiting with my buddy, I guess I think I was there with Jason. Um, I'd been with Luke, but it was for I think it was for Jason's uh, wedding. But uh, I can't remember who I was actually riding in the trolley with. Uh, we were just kind of like exploring the town and stuff like that. And, you know, for a car to make like a left-hand turn, you have to go into the median strip, right, where the yeah. trolley is. And so as we're riding, this guy's, you know, he's driving his trolley and everything, and a fucking car, like, pulls into the median strip, and he's got a fucking slam on his brakes. This guy starts yelling, fuck my ass, fuck my ass. And oh, he's like, Jesus. picture him like honking the horn, cranking the shift. I mean, trolleys are not like a, there's no steering wheel. So he's like, and I can see him like pulling all these levers as he's yelling at the top of his lungs with a full car full of people. He's oh yelling, my fuck my ass, <laughs> fuck my ass. Oh my and to God. this day, to this day, dude, if anything, if their opportunity comes up, I will quote that guy and I will say, fuck my ass, fuck my ass. It was unbelievable because also like as he's slamming on the brakes, my face is going into the person in front of me. Like it was insane. But the fact that he was yelling that at the top of his lungs was wonderful. Just absolutely wonderful. It's <laughs> awesome. It's awesome. Uh, I, I, n- not too good go back oh, I, but to go back really quick though when she's like my my father left when i was seven or whatever she could have it would have been a great perfect moment for her to say you know he's a he was a vietnam war veteran uh he was a he was a ranger in the in the in vietnam and uh you know i think the war took its toll on him my mom told me the war took its toll on him and uh you know that's why he left us because he just couldn't deal with it anymore and something like that, you yeah. know, to allude into kind of his bad him, which yeah. obviously he had a little bit of that. Yeah, because her her dialogue is trash. Like it's it it really offers us nothing, nothing right here. And so far, that is twice that you have rewritten the script and made it better. So my right. hat is off to you, my friend. Thanks. One more. 
one more and I'll have a hat trick. You will. You will. Yeah. I hope you can pull it off, buddy. Oh, God. Oh, Come on, guys. Root for him. Come on. Come on. <laughs> At the local mission, mission shelter, Natasha's kind of like finishing up the story, you know, of everything. Uh, she said she would write him letters, and, and but three weeks ago they stopped. Uh, Chance goes to talk to Elijah while Natasha checks out the people in line to see if her dad's there. Elijah asks why Chance hasn't shipped off yet, but Chance says that he lost his boarding pass. Uh, it's cool because you can tell they know each other. Uh, yeah. Just then, Natasha walks up, and you see uh, Elijah. He looks at her, and he goes, oh, I've got something to show you. you know. And, and Chance like, oh, you two know each other? you know. So I thought that was really – that was a fun little interaction. Yeah. Elijah takes them to uh, the shopping cart that was her dad's. He knew it was her dad's because of the recon sleeping bag that he saw in it. Uh, because he recognized the when he when she showed him the picture, he recognized him as being military. He goes, "Oh, he's recon." Okay, so he recognized that sleeping bag. It's weird. The script is really tight in some areas and really loose and and not great in others. You know. We'll see. This would have been a perfect like connection there mm-hmm. where. Yeah. Well, just if anything, just to keep reiterating how much of a badass her dad was, which also helps to make Fushan and Pick badasses, because if they take down a badass person, that makes them badass. So you're not like you're not taking anything away from them by building up Bender. If anything, you build up Bender, you also build them up as well. Yeah. I agree with you, dude. I agree with you. Like you. He kind of, uh, you know, they, they look through the shopping cart and there's like a suitcase there. Uh, they open the suitcase and they find letters that Natasha sent him. Uh, Natasha also finds a handful of phone sex paper ad flyers. Chance uh, kind of takes them and says, uh, don't be offended. He passed them out for money. Elijah said he's had to do it too. And you see like what the flyer looks like. There are only a bit of nudity in the movie. I also want to, yeah, there you go. There. Well, apparently there was a love scene between nat and chance oh, okay cut okay so, there you go um but but i want to point out too that she pulls out a like photo one of those uh eight by ten photo frames where it like it's two photo it opens yeah. up right it's the exact same it's photos exact that same he one. had in the <laughs> house yeah yeah it's like he made multiple prints of it yeah yeah i know and, and then she gets super <laughs> sentimental when she sees him i'm like you just saw these it's, it's why the are you getting photo. more sentimental <laughs> it's, it's exactly the same photos <laughs> who cares yeah <laughs> and then she pull yeah she pulls out the little uh the little flyers for the the nude bars or whatever and she's like so horrified yeah. so horrified yeah. <laughs> i'm like <laughs> yo What's your backstory? Like, we know, really know none of her backstory. We don't. We actually don't know anything about her, which is interesting. Like, we know more about Douglas Bender and Chance than we do, and even Fushan and Pick than we do her. She is a, she's a complete blank slate when you think about she it. She is. And, and I, like, I want to know why she's driving a beat-ass blue Trans Am, yeah. you know, uh, across country from Michigan to Louisiana. I mm-hmm. want to know that. I want to, I would love it if I would love it if, you know, she said it, it took me 5 states to find my dad. Yeah, and you know, she's been on this down. she's been on this like adventure or something and we're just now catching her on the tail end of it. Yeah, yeah. After or like it could be like after my mom as my mom was dying, she said your you know, your dad is still alive. I thought my dad was dead yeah. for 20 years. And then my mom right before she passed away tells me that my dad is actually alive and last she saw him he was in kansas city you know and then she goes to kansas city and like Like that would be great something 
yeah, I quit my job. I quit my job and, 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 and have been looking for my dad for a month. And then I find these flyers and what, what the hell, what happened to my dad, you know? Yeah. No, I honestly, I'm, I'm with you, buddy. I, I think I would have connected. Uh, she's probably the character I connected least with in this movie. And I always just thought, cause she's probably the only female and I'm a guy. And as a kid, I was like, maybe that's why, but no, I think it's because we literally have nothing to go with for her, like other than this journey. And, and, you know, she's clearly a nice character and everything, but like, we don't know anything about her and, and chance is just infinitely more interesting than she is, you know? Yeah. And I will piggyback on that by saying there's not one character in this movie that's unlikable. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that in a hero villain way. I mean that in a actor way where you're like, Oh God, that guy's terrible. Like everybody in this movie is is a cool uh gives a good performance i just want a little bit more depth what say that again even randall is fun yeah totally yeah yeah i i absolutely agree i just feel like they just didn't give enough depth to some of the major characters yeah specifically her although you got to wonder if there was anything else on the cutting room floor that might have lended itself to that but you know i'm sure van damme was like hey but can we make sure we have a a love scene between Chance and Nat. And then John would be like, what do you say? And the translator would be like saying it to him. And then the translator would say, uh, Mr. Wu says, why the fuck do we need that? <laughs> this and is then an Van would be movie. Like, no, it makes sense because, you know, he's a loving guy and he's a, he has a lot of love. And if they have a love scene, like in the, in the warehouse, you know, it'd be good. And I give her the boom, boom and the boom, boom. And I need to show my butt. That's my stipulation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we don't have to show. She doesn't have to be she naked. Be naked. Just she, me. Yes, just me. Just me. I am just naked. My not butt. Her. <laughs> my butt squeezing inside. That's it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I can see it all in my mind's eye. Because I'm, <laughs> now, hungry. I'm now, hungry. Now cut to somebody whose butt I don't want to see. Randall Poe. Uh, cut to a sleazy office with a sleazy guy named Randall Poe giving another homeless guy the same flyers to hand out. So in the movie, it was a quick cut. Like you see her, you know, the whole scene previous, and then it immediately cuts to this with these flyers in his hand. And, you know, movie language, you know exactly what's what's happening and, and where you went as a viewer. Chance and Natasha walk in. Randall knows Chance. Natasha asks about Douglas Bender, but Randall says he doesn't know him. Chance pulls out one of Randall's flyers and says, I think he knew you. Randall says, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I'm not good with names. Just then we hear Pick say, hello, Randall. I didn't know you had company. Randall turns around and Chance and Pick lock eyes. Chance says, well, we must be going on. We must be leaving now. And he kind of, him and Natasha leave. Outside Randall's office, Natasha is arguing with Chance. She knows Randall knows something. Chance says, if you want to find your daddy, you're going to have to work smarter, not harder. They walk to Natasha's car, and there's a police detective there. He says he has some bad news. They found her father's body. By the way, Pick is uh, a a poor man's Billy Zane. <laughs> he, he is... I. He, on one he, hand. On one hand, I feel like he started that way, and then I do believe that the mummy turned him into his own person, but 100% back, I will back you up on, on that. I think, yeah, Arnold Vosla started his career as the poor man's Billy Zane. 
I feel like if if Billy Zane and the lead singer from Go West had a baby, they'd have Andrew Voslo. If is you that, know who the lead singer is, of uh, Go West is. Is that in, in, in a big country? Dreams. No, st- it's uh, King of Wishful oh, thinking. thinking. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, I know who you're talking about now. Yeah, you're right. You're right. 100%. Good call. Good call on that one. They had a baby. <laughs> uh, what if dudes could have babies, by the way? That would be f- amazing. Go watch Alien Nation, the TV show. You see it happen. Well, yeah, without... Oh, yeah. I will after I listen to our TV Obscura episode. And if you haven't listened to it, it's really good. It is really good. And at the end of season one of uh, Alienation, uh, uh, George Francisco has a baby. So, uh, yeah, I was actually I was actually looking for Alienation pictures to post on Instagram, and I saw that one. So I'm going to have to post that one at some point. Yeah, do it. <laughs> you know can't it. wait. Detective Mitchell meets them at the hospital. Uh, she says they made a positive ID. There was a fire at an abandoned building, and her father's uh, body was discovered there. Mitchell says that the body was burned so badly that they had to make the identification from his teeth. Uh, she hands Natasha the coroner's report, but Chance sort of quickly intercepts it because he knows inside that it's going to have pictures of her dad's you know, dead body and everything. So, I, again... I like the character of Chance in this movie. I think he's a nice guy. And it, I still say it's like, I swear to God, it's probably one of the nicest roles that I think Jean-Claude JCVD has played. I, I just feel like he's super nice in this, and it's different than what he's usually sort of doing. And I really like it. Yeah, he was in a movie called Nowhere to Run, where he kind of, it's like he he uh, befriends Rosanna Arquette and her mm. family. And that that that's another good one. Another I've seen that one, but that one's been a long time since I've seen that one. Again, I think he's yeah. You never saw Seagal do shit like that. Exactly. Seagal always has to like play like a, a quiet badass, you know. Yep. Cut to Randall's office slash apartment, <laughs> and he's sleeping in his bed on his back with a porn mag next to him. It's it's like it's called erotic dancer. I because of course Sleazy C gonna pause it and see what the hell Randall's looking at there. But it's a cool camera shot because the camera like dollies in on him and no one's around him, and then it quickly dollies back. And Pick is standing there, and it's all one scene. And fucking, or one shot, I should say. And Pick fucking karate chops him in his fat fucking stomach. He goes, wakey, wakey, you fat fuck. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> Best line of the movie. Best I line of the movie. I love it, dude. I have a lot of Pick lines that I love. Uh, Pick then tosses Randall around as Fushan watches. Uh, Randall's asks what they're doing, and Fushan says, Don't talk, Randall. Listen. And Pick holds an open pair of scissors to his earlobe. Fushan says that Randall neglected to tell them that the people who stopped by earlier were inquiring about one of their quote unquote volunteers. Pick then cuts off Randall's earlobe, and he kind of goes running, and then Pick kind of kicks him into the wall again. Fushan then tosses Randall onto his desk and says, The man we hunted last night, why didn't you tell us his real name, you fuck? I, they say you fuck a lot in this, and I love that. I want to, I say, I feel like I say that sometimes. I love when you call someone a fuck. It's so great, so angry. Uh, Randall says it was Douglas Bender. Fushan says, That's not the one they selected, is it? 
Randall says he couldn't get the guy they wanted, but he knew they wanted a combat veteran, so he sent Bender. He has more medals. I was like, I like that justification on Randall's part. Yeah. Uh, Fushan says, Andy had friends and family, and now they're asking questions. Randall says he didn't know Bender had any relatives. Fushan sort of holds out a wad of cash and says they have a new client. You know, they, they're going to hunt tonight. And then Randall's like looking at the wad of cash and fucking Fushan punches him across the fucking face and throws the money at him. Says, next time, send us the one we ask for. Pick says, before they leave, Randall, I come back here. I cut me a steak. And he sticks the scissors in the fucking wall. Pick, baby, pick. He's one of my favorite fucking henchmen of all time. <laughs> Sash is like, the sure. king of wishful thinking. <laughs> he is. He is the king of wishful thinking. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Uh, cut to a small dive bar. Chance is consoling Natasha. She says, uh, she says he was living out of a shopping cart. Why didn't he just ask for help? And I, this is this is great right here. Chance says, I've been there myself on the street. It's hard. It's hard to put your hand out. That was a good fucking line. Uh, she wishes she yeah, could tell her dad like that, that she, she loved him. And Chance says, and because he loved you so much, he didn't want to pull you into it. This is a great scene. Yeah, it really is. Believable. Yep. Cut to Fushan Swanky home. He's looking through Chance's military record, and he says, Our friend Boudreaux, Silver Star, Marine Force Recon. Pick says he joined the merchant service after he got out. His captain was smuggling opium. When Boudreaux found out, he threw the man overboard. He's been looking for work ever since. And I like here you finally find out what he did to, you know, get sort of blackballed, what the captain was talking about earlier. Yeah, me too. And and, and also, too, that when they're talking, there's sort of um, intercut shots of, of uh, Chance standing in his terribly shitty apartment. Uh, Fushan says, he's obviously not someone we should underestimate. Pick uh, says, he was raised in the bayous by his uncle. I think he would make a very interesting quarry. As Pick and Fushan are talking, uh, the scene, yeah, like I said, the scene cuts to sort of Chance's apartment. He's looking at the coroner's report. Pick says, maybe I should pay him a visit. Fushan says, send a couple of the lads there to have a chat with him. Chance looks at the dog tag attached to the file, and uh, he's also looking at the paper and everything. And he's kind of just sort of thinking and everything. And then all of a sudden, typical John Woo, baby, a dove flies in, and or I think it's a pigeon, uh, but a yeah. bird. Yeah, and flies in and lands on Chance's dog tags, and you see that there are two of them that are hanging there. Chance looks at his. He's only holding one that's Bender's, and he's like, ah, you know, there should be two. Got to go find the other one. Yeah, thank you, Pigeon. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for listening. Thank you for the help. <laughs> uh Chance goes down to the building that was burned down and finds the other, he kind of sifts around a little bit, and he finds the other dog tag in the ash. Uh, he picks it up, and he sees that there's a hole through the dog tag. As he's looking through the hole, he sees somebody looking back at him. <laughs> Just then, someone comes up behind him and puts like this, like, dog catcher collar thing around chance's neck that's kind of it's it's connected to a pole so the guy is holding a pole and then he's got the the collar thing around chance's neck and he kind of starts choking him someone else then runs up with a baseball bat and hits chance in the back of his legs so 
on IMDb, there are two characters named Frick and Frack. Unfortunately, they do not have IMDb pictures, but I think it's these two guys because these are the two main goons. One, you have poor man's Ike from Tombstone, the guy with the the white beard and everything, poor man's Ike. And the other one is, I'm sorry, guy, but the ugliest man I've ever seen in movies ever. (laughs) He's got the worst hair I've ever seen, and it's just absolutely atrocious. And he's probably just a stuntman, you know? Yeah. Yeah, freaking frack. Yeah. I'm like, who the fuck named these guys? I love it. <laughs> I know. It's it's wild. Uh, so the I don't know which is which, though. So the, the one guy hits. Does it really matter? Doesn't no. matter. One guy hits Chance in the back of the legs. He falls backwards, like sort of with the guy kind of going down with him. Um, the baseball bat guy hits Chance in the leg again with the bat. But then Chance punches him in the balls. But the baseball guy kind of recovers kind of quickly from that and uh, hits him back down. And Chance goes down again. Uh, the guy with the choke collar stands over him and says this is one of the lines that i quote regularly in my life he says some friendly advice boudreau get the fuck out of dodge do it today and tell that bitch girlfriend of yours to point her taste north step on the gas it's the weirdest delivery that i've ever fucking heard and ever since i was a kid me and my friend group we would say it to each other and shit just to get a laugh out of each other i don't know why uh he then kicks chance in the face knocking him out is that what you would tell like at the rental store if someone had a late fee and they didn't want to pay it <laughs> get the fuck out of dodge dude's day <laughs> by the way you owe six dollars in late fees motherfucker man i i'm not gonna lie to you the sad thing is i never say anything like that but i was so abusive to our customers i was randall i've said it a million times but oh, yeah. boy oh boy was i an evil motherfucker and you know what <laughs> they kept coming back every day it was wild like an abused girlfriend yeah, yeah. <laughs> like an abusive relationship uh Cut to uh, Chance and Cuffs at the police station. He sits down at uh, Detective Mitchell's desk. Uh, some Another cop takes off the cuffs when he sits down uh, and, and asks why he was arrested for getting beat up without a license. That was funny because uh, he doesn't have a license, you know, from earlier. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Uh, Natasha walks in, sees Chance's face. She goes, oh, my God, you look awful. She's like, <laughs> he has this little cute little line. He's like, you'll, you'll, you offend me, dear, something like that. Oh, you hurt my feelings, dear. She gives a little smirk. Uh, Mitchell says they can they can charge him with willful, willfully crossing a police barrier. She asks what he was doing at the crime scene. Chance says that he was looking for the other dog tag that was missing. He looks at Natasha and says, your daddy didn't die in the fire. He was murdered. Mitchell says there's no evidence for that. Chance pulls out the dog tag and shows it to them. The hole in the tag was made by something sharp and hard. And I'll, <laughs> and I'll bet... <laughs> I'm so mature. And I'll bet money it was made when Bender was still wearing it. Mitchell says she'll order a new autopsy. I love that. Yep. Yep, me too. Me too. Cut to Fushan now playing the piano in his mansion. He's going all crazy. The coroner is sitting on the couch behind him. While the music is playing, we see Randall in his office talking to Elijah. He's offering the vet $100 to fill out a form. With the promise of more money later. I'm assuming it's like a form so they can run a background check on him. Yeah. 
it isn't sort of explicitly stated, stated, but we get the sense that this is how Bender was vetted as well, or the person that they wanted instead of Bender. You know, you, you know what I mean. Randall finally asks if Elijah has any family or friends, and he says he has nobody. We cut back to Fushan's home while he's playing the piano. Pick is explaining the process to a new client, uh, where to transfer the money, and to not refer to their agreement over the phone or telex. <laughs> that that dates this movie. <laughs> he says telex. Yeah, that that died out in the mid nineties. That I think was probably dead when this movie came out, dude. Right. <laughs> oh man. The client will be provided with a guide, tracker, and weapon of choice. Pick and his men will dispose of the body and provide an alibi. Don't worry, Mr. Mr. Zanan. All you need to do is point and shoot. Pick leads Mr. Zanan into the room where Fushan is playing piano. Pick tells Fushan that Mr. Zatan has made his selection, Elijah Roper. Fushan sits next to Mr. Zatan and says, It has always been the privilege of the few to hunt the many. Soldiers, policemen, fighter pilots. Weird that they made that jump. Soldier to, to policeman to fighter pilots. It's like he was like, what's a third thing? Fighter yeah. pilots. <laughs> I always Soldier, thought that was... policeman, mailman. What? What? <laughs> what? No, that doesn't work. No, that doesn't Soldier, work. Soldier, policeman, UPS driver? No. Soldier... Policeman, garbage man? No. So I got this one. Soldier, policeman, golfer. No. <laughs> T- it's getting tank worse. Tank driver. <laughs> ah, fuck it. Just go with fighter pilots. Where's my dart? Fighter pilot. Got it. <laughs> got it. That's it. That's <laughs> how you write a script, guys. Got it. <laughs> you throw the dart at the board, and whatever sticks is what you go with. That's right. Uh, men who kill for the gov- government do so with impunity. All we do is offer the same opportunity for private citizens such as yourself. Zatan asks if the opponents are volunteers. Pick says, we pride ourselves on only hunting combat veterans, men who have the necessary skills to make our hunt more interesting. Mr. Zatan asks about the police. Pick says, Dr. Morton here assists us with the formality of police autopsies. Fushan says, it's no accident we are in New Orleans. Last year, we conducted hunts in Rio de Janeiro at Carnival, Yugoslavia during the late unpleasantness. Oh, yeah. I always thought that was weird how he's like, oh, yeah, we were there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah he has these great moments throughout the whole movie where he, he'll just like, ah, <laughs> emote for no reason whatsoever. You're a fucking buffalo. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah wait, what? <laughs> the, and I also want to point out, too, that cliche wise at this time in the 90s, the bad guy would always typically have some sort of main squeeze, right? Some sort of female uh, whether it be, you know, his his drug addled horror, uh, or 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 an or a capable capable evil assistant hot chick, right? He didn't have that, which is kind of cool in a way. It was like, you know, there's very androgynous. Dare I say, maybe a little bit of a homoerotic connection between uh, Pick and him? Who knows? Maybe they were partners. In more ways than one. You know what? And I don't mean that in a cliche, like a demeaning way. No, I mean no. In an obvious way. No, no. I, I, no, I, I actually like that. I kind of maybe thought that myself. And 
I think that if that's the case, I think that would be infinitely cooler. And dare I say, if you were going to do a hard target remake, I would actually do that. I, I don't know. I can't think of that many, um, you know, gay villains out there. I think that'd be really freaking cool to see. Yeah, I think I think he should have been. I think and, and it wouldn't have taken anything away. And you know mm. what? The, he might be. There's no indication that he's not in this movie. I'm so, going to say he is. You know what? I'm going to say he is too. Fuck it. I don't care yep. because he clearly cares about Pick and they have a, like they clearly have an affinity for each other. So, you know, fuck it. I love that, man. That's awesome. That fucking rules. That makes the movie better in my opinion. There's my three. Boom. You're done, buddy. <laughs> Log off. We're done. I'll just, I'll just read, I'll read the next uh, 14 pages myself and we'll just get through. Come, yeah. Just check me out on $2 late fee and uh... <laughs> join our Patreon and I'm out. <laughs> uh, so, all right. Uh, Mr. Zatan says they have a new client. Uh, oh, well, he, I did like where he says uh, there's always some unhappy little corner of the planet where we can ply our trade. I thought I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, Mr. Zatan says they have a new client. Pick says that he'll be in contact with the necessary arrangements have been made. Cut to a CD massage power in the French Quarter. Chance walks in and the lady at the front desk greets him by name. Again, this it's you kind of get the sense it's never a sexual thing with all the women in town. You get the sense that everyone, but they'll love him. Like he's their kid and he just kind of wanders around and helps them probably and stuff. I, I don't know. I kind of dig it, you know? Yeah, me too. I, I, I kind of like a non-sexual JCVD. Is that weird? No, I think... It's I different, think he's, isn't it? Yeah, he's different, but he's good. It's He's good, you know? He... He's not the best actor in the world, and but but th- this is a better role for him. Agreed. Um, she asks what he's doing there, and he goes, secret mission. <laughs> and she allows him to go in through the back. In the back, we see Randall is getting a massage with his face down. <laughs> Chance kind of like, you know, maneuvers the girl's hands, hands away from his neck and then puts his hand there and starts massaging a little bit. Um, and then uh, Chance says, hello, Poe. And R- when Randall tries to sit up, Chance slams his face back down into the, the cushiony thing. Uh, Chance asks who sent the men after him. Randall says it was Pick Van Cleef. He doesn't know where he lives. He ain't even American. Chance says to Randall, tell your boyfriend I'm going to find whoever killed Douglas Bender. Cut to an interesting crane shot of the medical examiner's office. And it's like one of those like auditorium examination rooms type of thing. Very interesting. But like, why did they spend the money on this crane shot here? So it's it's crazy. I mean, it's cool, but like that costs money. Guys and gals, if if you don't know how movies are made, just know that anytime you see camera movement in a film, it costs exponentially more than just, you know, stationary shots and everything. And that also means time blocking, etc. So anytime you see camera movement, that is thought out and that is on purpose because it costs money. And it just I felt like it was wasted here. Yeah, maybe they were like you know, every corner room is always the same. Let's do something different this time. That's true. And then you do, and, and, and I'm sure everybody in the audience was like, you know, the test screens. So what would you think about the autopsy scene? How was that for you? <laughs> and everyone, everyone, you know what everyone marked down for that one? 
neutral. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Because you, you and I have both been to screenings where they send out the, the questionnaire and they have all, it's like a you know, one to five rating or something. Yeah, yeah, right down the middle, neutral. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Why did you spend the money on that? <laughs> Meanwhile, the producers look back and they're like, God damn it, woo. That costs like five grand just to do that one shot right there. God damn it, woo. <laughs> and he's like, don't blame me. Blame Sam Raimi. He's over my shoulder. I thought that was going to be good. What are you talking about? Sam Raimi clearly loves his fucking crane shots and everything if you look at Evil Dead. So, yeah, that might have been a Sam Raimi shot. He might have been like, yeah, you know what, yep. John? This, uh, let's spice things up a little bit. And John's like, well, you know, that's going to cost money. Sam's like, don't worry about it. I'll talk to the guys. All right. Cool. <laughs> I'll make it happen. Just just make sure you get my brother in there, okay? Just just make sure you make my brother look like a raging racist. Yeah. <laughs> so the camera flies in on Dr. on Dr. Morton essentially. He's looking Extreme over close up. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And uh, he's he's looking at an X-ray. Detective Mitchell comes up behind him and hands him Bender's file. She wants him to take another look at the postmortem. Um, she's like, you can either do the autopsy or or not, but uh, but she's gonna get a court order if not, basically. And you know, he looks scared. And we know he's scared because you immediately cut to Dr. Morton at his house that night burning police files in his fireplace. So he is clearly very, very scared. Uh, he turns around all of a sudden. Fushan is in the it's like in the doorway right behind him. Um, not his main door, but like the, the living room door type of thing. Uh, Morton says, don't you ever knock? And he kind of like looks at his door, but his door is closed. Like the front door is closed. And it's cool because this is when uh, there's a subtle dolly forward towards the door to give it this ominous feeling and it's it's so subtle like we're talking the dolly only probably went like a foot or something but it's enough to notice it and this is when camera movement is fantastic because that little dolly towards the door gives it that ominous feeling right there yeah meanwhile this doctor in the scene prior was like shaking and practically drenched in sweat yeah and in this he looks like he's gonna die yeah and i'm like dude chill the fuck out yeah he's i know you're a bad guy but you're falling apart here he's not cool under pressure that's for sure nope fushan sits at morton's desk and kind of starts like talking to him and as he's talking to him he's grabbing his letters and then that metal letter opener guys and gals I don't know if that's an old thing. I don't know anyone who has letters openers anymore, but they're essentially just a knife that you can just you open the letter with. But it's I a do. knife. Do you have one? Yeah. I need to get one. I think that's a cool gift to have, like an actual, like a nice letter opener or something. Ah, that's a cool gift. I like. I feel like that's an old school type of gift. Coming this winter, <laughs> podcasting after dark letter openers, branded letter openers. Yeah. Courtesy of Zazzle. Target. Our, our shirt's gonna be our hard target shirt is gonna just be a letter opener <laughs> no one will get it and it won't sell at all um uh morton is is vis- visibly shaken like you're like you said and he says uh they want me to reopen the autopsy on bender fushan asks uh, if they can buy off detective mitchell but morton says no fushan says i guess we've overstayed our welcome tonight is our last hunt in new orleans all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. Bouchon says uh, to open it. Dr. Morton walks to the door, looks through the peephole, and just then, Pick puts the silence pistol to the peephole and blows Morton's fucking brains out and walks through the front door and looks down and he goes, what a funny little man. 
As they are leaving, Fushan says they're going to go to Eastern Europe. They can work there for years. That's where he wants to go now. Feels like that that's the beginning of hostile. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, seriously. Which is not a bad, it's not a knock, because honestly, no. the first hostel, I was like, I love the concept. It's just, it's just brutal. too intense. Just brutal. Yeah. Late. And that's not my cup of tea. It's not my cup of tea. Yeah. All right. Time to get and into a new tea. action scene. Later that night, Elijah arrives at a train yard. Pick and Fushan walk out of the shadows to meet him. Elijah asks where Randall is, and they said, uh, you know, he was working for him, essentially. Fushan says uh, they have a game they would like Elijah to play with them. He hands them this money belt with $10,000 in it. He says all Elijah has to do is make it 10 miles through the city to the river, and that's it. It's all his. Elijah's about to walk away when Fushan says, think of what $10,000 could do to you. You could get new clothes, clean yourself up. Look men in the eyes when you pass them by on the street. This money could make you a man again. So, damn, man, that is some hardcore capitalism right there. That is just yep. just forcing it home that it's it's all money. It's the only reason yep. you can be a man is with money. I take umbrage with that. I, I do too, unless you give me a lot of money. Yeah, I know. I know. But I also want money because I want things. So, yeah, I know. It's, it's very hard. It's a very weird, like, emotional dilemma i mean on the reality tip on the on the official non-joking tip it's true money is freedom but fuck it fuck money you know it's not worth dying for that's for sure no but but it's true but we totally understand what situation elijah's in and we totally understand how this hits home I, no problems with this whatsoever. And I think that, you know, in this case, it absolutely makes sense. His whole entire life could get turned around with $10,000. And by the yeah. way, this is 1993, $10,000. So with inflation, we're looking at, I, I'm not a mathematician, but at least I think over, like closer probably to like sixteen dollars or $17,000 in today's probably, you know, yeah, conversion rate or whatever. He, he, he's like, you know, buy yourself a new suit or whatever. And yeah, you could. You get yourself a new suit. You get yourself Clean up, some clothes. Get put it down like a first and last month's rent on an apartment, you know. And yep. bought a, yeah, you're you're back on your feet. That he needs this money, and he does. Um, and he goes. Uh, Elijah says, and if I don't make it, Pick says, "You're a sports fan. Figure it out." Pick leaves the money clip um, like sort of on a railing, and then all of a sudden, a bunch of cars and motorcycles pull up with Mister Zatan with them. Fushan says, you've got a five-minute head start. Don't waste it, to Elijah. you got a five-minute head start. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Elijah grabs the belt and starts to make his way. You sort of run, but, you know, move quickly. Z- Mr. Zatan raises his sniper rifle right there, but Fushan stops him and he says, this is New Orleans, not Beirut. I don't really know what that means, but I trust that he does. Beirut is such a cliche, like... Yeah. I, I want to go back and ask the writer, what actually happened in Beirut, dude? Are you just going off of... Like, yeah, like, stereotypical, like, like we all know that that was a shit operation that the, that the CIA did or something like that. Yeah, I get it, yeah. He should have said, you know, this isn't... This is New Orleans. It's not, you know... 
it's not the wild, wild west, or it's not Columbia or something like that. So, something that I think we could probably more relate to. You know, I think I feel like you had to be up on the news to understand what he was talking about there. Yeah. Cut to Elijah running through the city with two motorcycles hot on his tail. He hops a fence and goes into a cemetery. For those of you that don't know, the cemeteries in New Orleans are above ground because New Orleans is below water level. Fushan, Zaytan, and his men get out of the cars in pursuit. Fushan stops Zaytan and tells him to take the, the gun safety off first. thought that was fun. Inside the cemetery, Fushan's men are searching for Elijah. A couple motorcycles knock him and stop him from leaving, and this allows Zaytan to kind of fire off some shots. I, do you have anything to say about the one shot where he blows up the statue's head and then Elijah's head's behind it making it's a... It's hilarious. I know. He's like, <laughs> making a wild face right there. Yeah. <laughs> Part of me was like, I, I would have jumped on top of one of the mausoleums and see if I could hide there on the roof. Yeah. Lay, lay down really flat on the roof. Mm-hmm. I know. Maybe they wouldn't see me. No one ever thinks to do that shit. No one ever thinks to like, you know, find a, a sewer or find a, you know... Just a just a waited out, which is weird because there's no um they don't actually use dogs in this, but yet um, Fushan Lance Hendrickson's character refers to his men as as his dogs. Uh, that's kind of cool, but yeah, without actually having dogs, I think you could get away with kind of hiding. You couldn't do that with a dog; they would catch your scent. But I think you could get away with hiding someplace like you said um, on the the roof of one, like try to just lay flat or something, hoping no one see you, or stay in the mausoleum that we'll get to in a second, but he could have just stayed in that little mausoleum thing, you know? Yeah. So Zatan kind of fires some shots and one hits Elijah right like in the kidney area. I always thought that looked painful as fuck. Um, yeah. Fushan goes up to uh, a shocked Zatan and tells him to finish him. Uh, Mr. Zatan says he doesn't want to. He's wounded. Fushan grabs him and says, don't make me look bad in front of my dogs. You know why you're here. You paid us a half a million dollars to find out if you're alive or dead. Now finish him. And he kind of pushes Zatan, you know, over to him and says, and says to pick, uh, God, why didn't he go fishing? Jesus. All the talking bought Elijah some time to get up and moving again. Everyone starts searching for him and everything. Uh, and while they're all looking for him, Elijah pops out of a mausoleum and does this awesome ass fucking like arm bar to to Mr. Zatan's chest. Like, yeah, it's like he just goes, blam, fucking knocks him down. And I fucking love this. He takes fucking Mr. Zatan's, uh, it's like a, it's an M16-ish, it's like a machine gun, but it's also seems like it's upgraded for like snipering. But I love how, how Elijah, while, while Zatan's on his back on the ground, Elijah just shoots, but he doesn't like aim it at him. He just, he like, he's firing the, the gun, but he's swiping it across his chest. So like yep. Zatan's getting hit in like, like, left shoulder, chest, then right shoulder. Like, it just goes across, essentially, but, you know, it doesn't really kill him. But I was like, yeah, fucking, I love how Elijah got his, his you know, fuck backings right there, you know? Yeah, me too. Like, thank thank God that there was some retribution there. And and these are, and this is the satisfying retribution that we'd live for in these revenge yep. films. Totally. Unfortunately, he kind of unloads the clip into into Mr. Zatan, so the gun's no longer you know useful. Uh, he well, I'm sorry, he he unloads most of the clip and then fires at 
Fushan and Pick as they sort of like round the corner um, and they kind of die for cover. But then that's that's all the bullets. He's used them up, you know, so he kind of has to throw the gun down to the ground uh, and, and runs away. Fushan walks up to Zatan's wounded body and says, now you understand why we insist on payment up front and shoots him dead square in the chest right there with his fucking hand cannon gun. Uh, he says, sick the dogs on him, pick. I don't want to be here all night. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hello, everybody. I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la. And now, back to the show. Cut to Elijah running through a very populated French quarter. He's asking people for help left and right. This is fucking sad. There's so many people there. He should be safe. But he's not. He runs up to a bunch of people. Everyone's pushing him away, pushing him out of bars, you know, everything like that. And he finally runs up to fucking Ted, Ted Raimi. And uh, he's like trying to grab onto him. He's like, help me, man. Help me. He's like, and Ted Raimi's like, I ain't got no change, man. And finally like kind of pushes him away. He's like a real fucking dick, dude. But as a kid, I knew who Ted Raimi was when I saw this movie. So as a kid, I was like, why the fuck is Ted Raimi in this one tiny little spot right here? And now it all makes so much fucking sense. Yep. Yep. Uh, Ted Raimi is the Clint Howard. Yep. To of, Sam uh, Raimi. Of Sam Raimi. Yep. He put, <laughs> Sam Raimi puts him in every movie. He's somewhere in every single movie. And clearly yep. that extends to movies that uh, he kind of, not produce sort of produces like i i don't know like i don't know what sam raimi's role well, he's hanging out on set yeah you know and ted's, uh, ted's there with him yep it's so interesting that sam raimi was like universal's boy back then because you know dark man didn't do very well Mm-mm. um at the box office i don't think and yeah but we know as you and i know from the industry that like even if it's not a success, the studio execs could see that he handled the production of Darkman successfully and was like, okay, this property maybe didn't work, but he was such a team player. He worked well with the studio. We're going to bring him in and kind of like sort of vet him. Like actually what well, Darkman probably was his vetting, you know what I mean? And then he became that kind and, of a studio guy. And Army of Darkness too was a universal film. Yeah. So 
that makes sense. And for a while, like first couple seasons of Ash versus Evil Dead, they couldn't reference Army of Darkness because of like rights and issues and stuff like that. Uh, I think they worked it out for the the last season of Ash, but um, weird. Yeah, yeah, it's it's and really lame. weird because yeah, because there's <laughs> there's two different rights. There's there's rights to Army of Darkness and there's rights to Evil Dead. They're they're two separate right holders. My my goal. My hope in the next decade is that all that right stuff gets worked out because yeah. there's so many, so many stories of movies and soundtracks that we just don't get on TV shows. It's, we, this is a tried. We've talked about it too many times to re, to bring it up, but you know, uh, a movie or a TV show doesn't get seen anymore because of a rights issue. No, so, or no, can't lo- get even mentioned. Come on now. Yeah, no, guys and gals, if you ever wonder why one of your favorite shows from the 80s or something isn't on DVD or Blu-ray, 90% of the time it's because there's some kind of musical rights with it. It's always yep. fucking musical rights that hold everything down. That was what kept like heavy metal from from H- from VHS for so long yeah. were, were yep. all the rights. So, yeah, music rights, man, uh, are a thing. Um, so Elijah looks down the street and he sees now that, that pick and Fushan are there and all of their dogs and they're right They're, they're there. He's got nowhere to go. And he kind of holds his arms out because he knows this is it. And I like that. There's a little bit of a, of a Lance Hendrickson's give Like he's got a little bit of respect on his face for, for Elijah, for going yep. down like a champ. And he gets lit the fuck up. Right there in the middle of the fucking street, he is like his body is twitching as just riddled with bullets. This was this was intense. I always feel bad because I loved his character. I loved Elijah. I thought he was a fantastic character. And damn, he got he goes out like a champ, but he fucking goes out. Pick walks up and grabs the the money clip off of him. Cut to the next day. This is something that would never happen, but Chance is just in the crime scene. You know, I mean, cops are everywhere. You know, Elijah's body's in a body bag, except for his face, and Chance is, like, sort of kneeling over it. It's something that would never happen in a million fucking years, but it's a movie. We don't care. It's all right. So, you know, they're conducting their investigation. Uh, Detective Mitchell and Natasha are there, too. Uh, Mitchell says Elijah was passing out flyers for Randall Poe. Chance says let's pay him a visit. And Natasha gives Chance like, kind of like a little kiss because she knew that they were friends, you know, uh, Natasha and or, I'm sorry, Elijah and Chance. Wait, wait, woo. I just want to say this is the part where we 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 have our making love scene. Right. Is, is this like crank? Are they going to just do it in public? Like, have you ever seen crank, by the way? Yeah, I, I have seen it. It's good. It's yeah, good. I, I, dude, I love Crank and Crank, too. Great movie. Get, get high and drunk and watch those movies. They're fantastic. But in the first one, um, to keep his heart rate up, he has sex with Amy Smart, like, like in the middle of the street or something like that. It's it's crazy. It's fucking wild. <laughs> that movie's fucking crazy. Bad shit crazy. Uh, cut to Randall leaving his office in a hurry with two suitcases. Before he gets in his car, he looks around, and you notice that, like, there's no one on the street. No one. It's very ominous. He's like, oh, he starts getting freaked out by that. He gets in his car, and before he starts it, you know, he puts a key in the, the handle, and then the ignition, uh, Pick smashes the window and puts a shotgun uh, to his head and says, you weren't going to leave without saying goodbye, were you? Randall says he's got a, his mom is sick and Biloxi. Uh, Pick says, 
I know you weren't trying to hurt my feelings. And then he fucking pulls the fucking trigger. And we see this awesome shot of the front of the car with, like, the buckshot and blood going through the windshield, but not, like, completely shattering it, but, like, you know, yep. blowing it up. And I, and I was just like, God damn. And even Pick goes, oh, shit. I was like, yeah, <laughs> wow. That was fucking brutal, dude. Yeah, that was great, though. I loved it. Me too. Me too. Uh, cut to like a, you can tell it's like just a few minutes later and detective Mitchell chance, uh, and Nat are pulling up in a squad car. Uh, they kind of, they they pull behind Randall's car, but they, you can clearly see the fronts, you know, bloody and you, you see the bad shit happen. Natasha gets out of the back seat, which doesn't really work because you can't get out of the back seat of cop cars, uh, from the no. inside handle. So that's okay. It doesn't track too. It, of all the people in the car, it's the pedestrian. It's like the, yeah. Why did she know. get out first? Yeah. And why did they say anything to her? I was more focused on the fact that like, I was like, wait a minute, you couldn't open the back door. Like you need somebody to actually open it. Um, but isn't that true with everything in life? You can't <laughs> open the back door. You got to have the person open it for you. That's true. That is true. Uh, <laughs> So, so Natasha starts to get out of the back seat, but Mitchell sees movement. She sees movement through the broken windshield of, of Randall's car. Uh, she quickly gets out of the driver's seat. But see, this is why I love Mitchell. She quickly gets out of the driver's seat, pushes N- Natasha down, and draws her gun. But unfortunately, Pick fires his shotgun, shattering the window, the the, the glass, like the, it hits the car door. But it also hits Detective Mitchell also. She goes down. As she's on the ground, one of the goons, generic goon, uh, comes running up. Yeah. She, yeah. Mitchell returns fire and hits him. And I say generic goon because he's got that padded jacket, that black padded jacket with a black hat on and glasses and has that, not Uzi, but another sub. He is generic goon 101. Yeah, yeah, I call those guys like, yeah, that's a pretty great way to, I'm going to, generic goon. Generic goon. One, there's bicycle <laughs> goon, there's motorcycle goons, and then there's generic goons, and then later on there's hunters. That's what I, that's how I sort of. Hunter just, goons. Yep, hunter goons, yep. Um, she kills that guy. At this point, Chance gets out of his car you know side of the car and just as like like pick lights up the passenger seat with a shotgun uh natasha is helping mitchell who obviously took some buckshot and she's reloading the gun on the ground uh chance dodges another shotgun blast as he rolls over the trunk just then a truck full of goons comes driving up the street with her guns drawn Mitchell gets up to shoot, but is shot again by the guy in the truck. And I love this shot because you see the trace of the bullets hitting the windshield first. It's like three shots to the windshield, and then it hits M- Mitchell. I was like, that's that's cool. You can see, you can trace the bullets, essentially. Uh, yep. But unfortunately, she's just getting fucking lit up. It's kind of surprising, though, you know. It's kind of surprising that she gets wasted. You think she's going to be like, you know, along f- longer for, for the, but at the same time, I'm, I'm, I like that she puts up as much of a fight as she does. She doesn't just go down with nothing. She tries. And, and that's what's, that's what I think is really cool about her character. Agreed. Um, when she takes this shot though, uh, detective Mitchell f- sort of falls into chance's arms and he grabs the gun out of her hand and shoots the guy that shot her and then he shoots Pick in the arm as well. 
Uh, Pick jumps in the truck, and they sort of start driving away. Chance puts his coat over Mitchell and uh, takes her remaining clips. I like that. As Pick and his men are driving, he kind of, they spin around. As Pick and his men are driving by, Chance jumps on the hood of the car and shoots at them, wounding the driver. A motorcycle comes riding up shooting, but Chance uh, kills him and reloads his gun. He kind of shoots him, you know. Another motorcycle comes up shooting, and Chance sort of dives behind the cop car, then comes around the, the backside trunk and does an awesome kick to the guy's face, the motorcyclist's face, knocking him off. It's really cool. That's probably my favorite kick or action sequence in the movie. Yeah. When he comes around, that's a great gif too, where it just like knocks the shit off the guy, knocks the guy off the bike, just right in the head. It's fan fucking tastic. Be- uh, meanwhile, you know, yeah, he shot Pick in the arm. I would have liked to have seen a little bit of a callback to that later on in the movie. Yeah, this Pick is, seems perfectly fine. This is very much in the staple of that trope of this era where, you know, you can take a shot to the arm and it'll be no problem for the rest of the fucking movie. Yep. People, I, then, do, then, I do think the audience expects more realism nowadays. Well, I think, uh, I think honestly, Reservoir Dogs was, was the game changer for that because, you know, uh, Tim Roth's character is hit once in the belly and yeah. he's like practically dead. And they're explaining the whole point of being shot in the belly is one of the worst places and yada, yada, yada. But how many movies up until that point had just blown that off? Like you get shot and you keep on going, you know? Yep. Every time nowadays when I see a character get shot in the gut, I immediately think, no, no, you, you're you going to be in so much pain. And everything I know about a gut shot is from Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. And yeah, it's a game changer movie. Yep. Yeah, I was I was a huge fan. Me and me and Luke watched the shit out of that movie back in the day. Yeah, don't did, no 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 haters out there where they're like, oh yeah, but it's in, no 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 no. That movie was a game changer. Yeah, I don't care if he homaged City on Fire. You know, it's like that that movie for American cinema was like the benchmark. From that point on, things were different. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And he's gone on record saying one of the influences for that film is The Thing. He loved The Thing and, and the whole, like, yep. you know, not knowing who to trust and everything. I was like, wow, yeah, I can see that. That's really cool. And the ear-cutting scene in Hard Target apparently was uh, a nod to... Ah, there you go. Uh, but that that's ear-cutting scene is also taken from Django, the original Django movie. Right, yeah. I knew that, I knew great. that, yep. You better know that. <laughs> better. Ch- uh, Chance picks up one of the motorcycles, and so he kind of drives over next to N- Natasha and reaches her hand out. And Natasha's kind of like holding Detective Mitchell. Uh, she's like, well, "What about her?" You know, and everything. Chance says she's dead, and they have to go. And you know, I like he's not callous about it. He, you know, he he knows, but at the same time, it's real. You know, he's being realistic right here. Yeah. In the truck, Fushan is telling Pick over the phone, uh, keep him in the French Quarter. So, and, and then Natasha gets on the back of the bike. Now we see Chance and Natasha driving through the city with Pick and his men. And now a couple more cars uh, in pursuit, uh, chasing them with guns blazing. They eventually find themselves sort of playing chicken with another motorcycle goon. Goon number five. <laughs> Goon number five out of 50. We have a lot more goons we're going to go through. Uh, Chance tells Natasha to grab the handlebars as he pulls out the machine gun and starts shooting, and he kind of shoots the guy off the bike. The bike then explodes as Chance and Nat leap 
leap it, and then they sort of run into the the goon. They sort of drive their motorcycle into the goon. It's more ex- it's more well executed than my description, but at the same time, it's kind of also not because one, when you run, when they run into the goon, he's like weirdly holding his gun at his side. And then they clearly run into uh, a bunch of boxes, which is, we all know is, is, you know, by the way, like industry standard, a way to kind of catch somebody to drop, jump out of the window is just build up a bunch of, of cardboard boxes. Um, and because all that air in there creates like a padding, it's a low budget way to do it. If you pile up enough cardboard boxes that are, you make them into the square, you make them into the box, but nothing's in them. They'll cushion a blow because it's all air. Knowing that you see this guy get run into it and you're like, oh, those are just all padded cardboard boxes, essentially. It's still cool. It's not my favorite sort of moment in the movie, though. No, no, but we're going to get to a lot better in just a minute. Exactly. I mean, at this point, the movie just goes, okay? Yeah, oh, for sure. Chance and Natasha then drive the bike up a freeway entrance uh, with a truck of goons in high pr- hot pursuit. When they get to sort of the top of the freeway, they see it's under construction. So Chance turns the bike around and does this like slight rev bop thing and kind of pops uh, Natasha off the back. You know, she lands on her feet like she just kind of pops off the bike, you know, yeah. um, kind of gets gets her off of it that way. Uh, he then drives the bike. Um, it's 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 full of holes and, and leaking gas uh, straight at the goons on the truck. As he's going towards them, they're coming towards him. Chance jumps on the bike and starts surfing it while firing his pistols at the truck and the goons inside. Of course, he the he doesn't get shot at all, uh, no. but uh, <laughs> he shoots them and everything. The truck hits the bike, and Chance's stunt double fantastically rolls over the the roof of the truck. And like lands on his feet, sort of, uh, kind of does like a when he he doesn't quite land on his feet, but they do a good job of of cutting Chance doing the sort of the same thing. Uh, Chance yep. pops up, shoots the the bike that's under the truck, blowing the truck up. Only thing weird about it, besides the fact that you can see you know Jean Claude Van Damme's stunt double the entire time. Yep. The only thing weird about it is that the way that you can tell the shot is the truck now is almost near where Natasha is because, you know, they've now crossed paths and the truck is heading towards her. And it essentially blows up like right in front of her. And I was like, yeah. that would have probably blown her back, you know? It would have singed those massive eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. It would have fucking burned those things right off. Those caterpillars right off of there, dude. Call back to the call back to the eyebrows. <laughs> Fushan uh, drives up in his fancy car. I just I, I don't know his Mercedes or something like that. But he shoots at Chance. So he's got. By the way, so he's got this like this gun, this one round shotgun. Um, but it shoots bullets, but they're fucking huge and they explode, but he can only shoot one at a time. And I've always liked this shot. So chance dives behind one of those orange barrels that construction people use and everything. He dives behind it as, as Fushan shoots and that fucking barrel like just shoots straight in the air. And I'm like, it, yeah. and you could tell it just goes for miles, you know, but I was, I always liked that. I always thought that was very visceral. And that, that gun too, by the way, um, apparently it, it shoots. Yeah. It shoots one bullet, but it has interchangeable barrels oh, of different okay. calibers. 
And those calibers looked big. Like those bullets were fucking huge. They're they're not like nine millimeter bullets or anything like that. Um, our buddy John uh, at the Blast from Our Past podcast, he would probably know. He he knows he knows about guns. Um, also, check out our our watch list I did with him. Sci fi, our top five sci fi guns. You'll see how much yeah. he knows. He's pretty pretty smart on that kind of stuff. Um, but I always liked that. I always liked how the barrel just sort of shoots off and and it makes like this like pew sound like as it kind of goes shooting off. You know. Totally. Chance gets Natasha to her feet and they kind of like jump off the freeway on like the overpass. It's like it's going over a train track. They jump off of it and land on the moving train that's you know moving away. And uh, Fushan's about to shoot them, but he doesn't get a beat on him. Um, he turns to pick and he goes, it appears we'll have one last hunt after all pick. And then we get this really really weird shot of Arnold Voslo just like going, ah! you know, like this, did you notice that he, it's like, he does like yeah. this, like wink at the camera or something like you didn't need that shot at all, but it's weird. It's there. And he's so perfectly like manicured and mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's an odd scene, especially after a dude who's just been shot in the arm, maybe you know, right. yeah. earlier, like an hour earlier storyline wise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would honestly say, but yeah, probably like, probably five, 10 minutes earlier or something. But yeah, exactly. He's nursing a fresh wound. Now we cut to pick tracking chances, footsteps in the mud away from some train tracks. Uh, Pick says to Fushan, this could be dangerous. We're on his turf. Now Fushan turns away from pick to greet five men who just got off of the helicopter. One is the hunter we see from the beginning. The guy that brought down uh, Bender. Another, (laughs) is LaForce. You don't know who LaForce is? He's only the most feared security guard in the business, man. 460 collars, all convicted. I hear he's even got two kills. Fucking listen to our Mallrats episode, guys. You and I, I know we both fucking love Sven Olick or whatever his name is. Fucking LaForce, man. Fucking LaForce. LaForce, and he was in Captain Power. Uh, he had a, actually yeah. a prominent role in Captain Power. I, he was the tank. Guy. He was that was probably his most like character role, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that and and then he was in Abraxas. <laughs> he was he was also in Predator. Fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger shoots him out the uh, the back of the the building at the you know when they're attacking that that town because I think he's I think he's Austrian too and he's friends with Arnold and I mean he, you see him on set with on Conan and all that guy. Oh yeah, this dude has been in Hollywood forever. And he also had a Running Man. He was in Running Man. That's right. Yep. And I saw him one time at a gas station in Santa Monica. Well, there you go. And, you know, you just reminded me. I just saw I saw Andrew Voslo uh, Ar- a few months back in Santa Monica. You saw you saw Arnold Voslo? Yeah. Or sorry. Arnold, yeah. Walking out of uh, Bagel Nosh. But, wow. Bro, I would give my left fucking nut to fucking interview Arnold Voslo. Then you can. He had a sling and he was, I think, smoking a cigarette. Um, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, fucking LaFours. So, so basically they gathered up, um, some, the, the hunters, their previous, uh, clients essentially. Yes. Um, which I think is really fucking cool. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Fushan says to them, thanks for making yourself available on such short notice. Uh, we are stalking an exceptional opponent, truly a world-class trophy. The price for participating in this little excursion is $750,000 each. 
Should should one of you be lucky enough to bring him down, I'll consider that hunter's account paid in full. So essentially, if you do kill him, you don't have to pay the seven hundred fifty thousand, uh, and you obviously have bragging rights amongst your minuscule group of friends. But I do like the fact that each one of these hunter guys have different weapons, and they all have different outfits to kind of, and, and they picked people that looked so very unique. Oh yeah, totally. It's, yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a cornucopia of goons, if you will. I, you were, you took the word right out of my mouth. I was just about to say goons. A cornucopia of goons. Uh, cut to Chance and Nat making their way through the woods. Uh, she says, "Shouldn't we be worried about alligators?" And he's like, "If it makes you feel any better, yeah." <laughs> I like that. He was very it was very well delivered. He was like, "Yeah." We should yeah, be. Uh, then we see Fushan and his men uh, move out on foot, uh, and there's also a helicopter with them. Uh, back in the bayou, Chance says it's still a long way to his Uncle Duvet's place. And Nat thinks they'll be safe there, but Chance says if they have, have a tracker half as good as his uncle, they'll find him there. Uh, we see now we cut back, we see Fushan and his men are on the same trail as Chance and Nat. They're like in the same sort of location, so you know they're sort of hot pursuit. Yeah. Um, we cut back to Chance and Natasha. Natasha's resting against a tree, um, and Chance sort of walks up to her and asks if she trusts him. She says, of course I trust you. Chance tells her to close her eyes. She's lo- like, okay. I love this. I know. She's like, okay. So she closes her eyes and sticks, like, her, her lips out, you know, for, like, her kiss. Yeah. And and it's great because leading up to this, John Claude Van Damme does a great job with his eyes of sort of like looking at her, but also looking behind her. You can tell he's looking yeah. at something else. Um, and so as she closes her eyes, we see this fucking snake's about to bite her in the neck. He grabs it, starts pulling it out over her shoulder, and you can tell this thing's like fucking six feet long. And yeah. Yancey Butler does a great eye shot with her like looking down at it you know totally totally it's fucking awesome and so fucking chance holds the thing smacks it in the head and then fucking punches it knocks it out so yeah dude and then he fucking bites off the the rattle it's a rattlesnake so he bites off the rattle i was like wow even as a kid i was like oh god that's gross i didn't want to touch it man um and then he says he's gonna leave the snake in a a tree as a trap for fushan Cut to a little bit later, and Fushan and his men are walking through the woods, and one of the guys uh, kind of tr- sets the tree. Kick- he kicks the wire and you know sets off the trap. Uh, it's a vine uh, that that Chance kind of laid across the ground. Uh, it knocks the snake sort of out of the tree, and he recently bit the, the rattle the rattle off, so they didn't know it was there. You know, it yep. falls out of the tree and lands on his fucking face and just it's biting him in the face and he's screaming this always terrified me i don't want to be bit by a snake i don't want to be bit by a snake and i don't want to be bit by the snake on the face dude no it's intense the the special effects are great yeah he goes down fucking screaming dude yeah (laughs) pick fucking grabs the snake holds it out you know by its neck and fushan blows its fucking head off then he kind of like stomps on the guy's chest as he's dying it's it's brutal dude he goes he goes if you die quieter and pick up the pace boudreaux would have less time for these little surprises and he (laughs) he kind of puts another guy on point and they you know they they move on man yeah i I love how he's got no problem just fucking stomping that guy into the ground 
And and, and, and the guy get the guy is like a totally anonymous goon, mm-hmm. but he gets a little bit of screen time. Which yeah, is nice. Yeah, he does. Yeah, all all the goons get some. All the yeah, the goons slash hunters. Yeah, they they pretty much if they don't. Unless they have a motorcycle helmet, they get some decent screen time. Yeah, I, I agreed. Oh, cut to Uncle Duvet, a.k.a. Wilford Brimley, a.k.a. The, the Beatus, baby. Yes. He's, he is, oh my God, he is a joy, a joy to watch in this movie. Uh, he's working on his moonshine rig, and he takes he takes a sip from it, and he says, and I say this all the fucking time in real life, he goes, good whiskey make jackrabbit smack the bear. And I'll I'll usually say, like, if I drink something or t- eat something spicy, I'll say, jackrabbit smack the bear, and no one fucking gets it. I, Dude, I didn't realize how much shit I, I said from this movie until I rewatched it. Well, it's it's have it, it's clearly had an impact on you and uh <laughs> it's stupid. It's a stupid more so movie, now. but I fucking love it, man. <laughs> I love it. It's so stupid, but it's so great. Uh all of a sudden you hear someone sort of approaching and grabs his gun. We hear whistling coming from the tree line, and then uh, uh Chance and Natasha walk out of the woods. Uh, Duvet rushes to greet them. Chance introduces uh, Natasha to him. They go inside to sort of patch up Chance's arm. Inside, Chance tells his uncle that there are people chasing him. He's like, I, I like how Wilford Brimley's like, I know, I can smell them. Um, <laughs> Chance asks for Duvet's gun, but Duvet said <laughs> an alligator ate it. Uh, but he has Chance's old shotgun. And I love how it's like all chrome, dude, because it's 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 got to be. It's his Excalibur. It's his it's his special thing. He's a gunslinger. And I know that John yeah. Woo wanted to make this like a a pseudo gunslinger style move, because even earlier on, we, we didn't call it out. But in the very first fight, when when he saves Natasha, like he kind of like unholsters his leg to, yeah. you know, to kind of kick yeah. everybody. And yeah, it's it's. It's interesting because John Woo brings some interesting sensibilities to this, you know. I'm okay with that. Me I'm too. okay with that. It, it's silly, but it's but it's like, but it adds a little bit of quirkiness to the character. Makes it interesting, right? And yeah, and, and just exactly. the, and also the like, it makes it interesting in the same way that his shotgun is all chrome. Like it could have just been a regular shotgun, but they're like, no, no, we, we need to make it something special it's about a, it. Totally, totally. Yeah. Uh, Beautiful shotgun too, by the way. I like it. I do too. I do too. I'm not even a gun guy, but I'm like, that's a cool shotgun. I'm 100% with you. <laughs> it's covered in dust. Some cool shots of like, you know, uh, Chance sort of blowing the dust off of it and looking at it lovingly, you know, stroking it, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> Duvet asks if the men uh, chasing him, uh, if it's business or pleasure, and Chance says both. I feel like that was a trailer shot. Like, I feel like that's that dialogue was in the trailer, you know? Oh, big time. And then we cut to outside. Chance is getting ready to ride on a horse. He's kind of, They're kind of like prepping a horse. Uh, he says he's going to lead them south uh, towards the Mardi Gras graveyard. Uh, he hugs Natasha and says, uh, without you, I'm hunting them. That line I fucking loved. Duvet hands Chance's gun and he r- sort of rides off. Cut to Fushan and his merry band of goons finally making it to Duvet's shack. As they're looking around for, you know, for evidence of things and LaForce goes inside, shoots the place up and whatnot. Uh, as they're looking around, fucking Duvet pops out of the woods, fires an arrow, a bo- like he has a bow and arrow, he fires an arrow at Fushan, Lance Hendrickson. 
barely misses his head, and you're like, oh, shit, he missed him. But that wasn't the fucking target. He hits nope. the, the moonshine rig behind him, setting off this big fire. Uh, a couple of his men get caught in that. They're running around, you know, on fire and whatnot. I like how he shoots one of the guys, you know, one of his goons down. But I got to say, the one guy that was fully engulfed in fire had the Savage Streets paper mache mask on you know what i mean like the paper bag mask to cover yeah, his face yep. yeah dude. yeah <laughs> it was bad bro probably lance henderson should have been wearing that later on in the movie when when he's yeah when he's yeah catches on yep. fire yeah and so the fire now sets off a a a fuse that then fucking blows up the entire fucking shack and as Duvet is like riding away, he like shouts at the men in in French. It's fantastic, and they start shooting back. But he's like he's riding off, and then uh, Fushan says, and I think this is when you were like he makes these weird facial expressions. He's like, call it, you know. He does this like weird face. He's and he's yeah. you know, and, that, and this is when he says, um, you know, uh, uh, Boudreaux is the target, not the old man. But yeah. yeah, notice what Lance Hendrickson is. The choices he makes with his facial expressions when he's like, cut it out, like you know, yeah, and be like, ah. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That one's gonna be later. I'll call that one out. Ah, what? How does it feel to be haunted? Ah, you tell me. Ah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of guttural noises. Lance is all at a fucking like he's at a fucking ten, and I love he like he's like he's so pissed off, and he looks at this like one of the hunter goons. It, one of the, he's like this giant like six foot tall guy dressed in like Texas like garb or something, and he looks at him. He's like. You're a fucking buffalo. <laughs> Just like walks away. He can, I swear to God, that was like, you know, ad-libbed. And I swear to God, you can see the actor like for a second, like feel sad about himself. Like what? <laughs> and then, you know what I mean? <laughs> You're a fucking buffalo. <laughs> and then when he's rounding his men up, he fucking sweeps the legs out of his, like another goon. <laughs> Yeah, I wrote that down too. He's totally, uh, you know, sweep kicks this dude on the ground. That poor bastard is standing there, like looking straight ahead, and he fucking sweeps <laughs> yeah. his legs down. And but, dude, like, like these are the choices, you know, acting and directing choices that I think make the movie very fun to rewatch. Agreed. Lance Hendrickson is on fire in this film. And he will be figured literally in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he will. Uh, Pick says uh, Chance uh, is on horseback. He, he's, he's also tracking him. Uh, and he left about 15 minutes ago. Fushan tells uh, Pick to get in a helicopter and force Boudreaux into an ambush. Pick says he can take him from the air. Fushan says, no, you know, any pinhead can take him from the air. I want to take him from the ground. And, uh, you know, you can tell that Pick's already starting to get annoyed by this. Uh, cut to pick flying uh, the helicopter uh, with LaFours in the gunner seat and some other goons. Uh, they spot Chance and start pursuing him and shooting him. Uh, Chance shoots back and kills sort of a random goon on the side, not LaFours. Uh, then pick fires. Pick then fires a grenade and knocks Chance off his horse. Chance is on foot now, and Pick lands the helicopter and Fushan and his men get outside. Uh, there are so like so basically when. Chance gets knocked off the horse. He starts running. You see he's going towards a, uh, a warehouse. And uh, I think that's the Mardi Gras, um, you know, 
uh, graveyard essentially and pick and, and Fushan and everybody kind of all get there you know we see Chance running into the factory with two motorcycles in hot pursuit uh, they're both shooting at him and he's sort of like jumping over machinery and sort of dodging the bullets and all that kind of stuff of course doves and, and pigeons are flying by now not that many, just a few. No, I know. I, so, by the way, I think this cut has less doves in it than, than the theatrical version. Uh, at least that's what I've read on, online. Uh, outside, more motorcycles show up, and three trucks with Fushan, Pick, and his hunters uh, get out, and everybody grab a gun. Everyone's loaded to bear. Inside the factory, uh, Chance is sort of hiding from the motorcycle guys. One of them is Frick, by the way, or Frack, we don't know, the ugly one. <laughs> eventually one stops riding his bike and he sort of like stands there sort of looking around he like takes the visor off flips it up uh and as he's looking around uh some pigeons kind of shit on his head I on his fucking, i know me too on his helmet and he kind of he takes a second like a pause and then he just shoots upwards you know he's like because he thinks that's that that was chance you know he kind of shoots straight upwards and we see some feathers sort of like fall downwards and then when the goon looks down, Chance is now standing in front of him uh, with a like a gas can by his foot. The goon tries to shoot Chance, but he's out of bullets. So Chance kicks the, the gas can right at him and then shoots it in midair. It blows up shoots the guy and his motorcycle through the window, landing right in front of Pick and Fushan and everything like that. And, dude, first off, I've always thought this scene was super cool. And if you watch yeah. it and you break it down, you see that they use, like, eight camera angles for this, and that is insane. That's a lot of fucking work for this one shot, but it plays off so well. But, so... When my first viewing of this was total funsies when I was kind of texting you at first, I was smoking and drinking. I was just totally into it, having a good time. Myra comes home and uh, she kind of, uh, she took a shower and stuff, kind of gets, you know, after work and whatnot. And she starts watching it with me sort of from this moment on a little bit before it, but like right around this moment. And she's like, oh, cool. You know, she's watching it. She's, she's kind of digging it. Dude, bro, no fucking lie. Because, you know, it's at nighttime. She, she just worked a whole full shift. I packed her a bowl. She fucking lights it, sucks in, and fucking this scene, like, basically the explosion part, like, the kick, the shotgun, the explosion, the fly out, she goes, she blows her smoke out, she goes, that was the coolest fucking shit I've ever seen. I was like, yeah, dude. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, it was. That's hilarious. <laughs> she fucking, and, and from this point on, she was fucking into it. But hey, you know, I mean, it is the climax, so it's a lot of fun. But at this point on, she was like, whoa. I was like, I think I need to show her a, a, a John, another John Woo movie, dude. Yep. Yeah. High as well. Uh, every movie should be, should be watched high. <laughs> uh, cut to a quick shot of uh, uh, Nat and Uncle Duvet riding their horses. She kind of stops because I think they hear, heard the, the explosion of the bike. She stops and kind of turns around. Uh, he tells her to go call the sheriff, but this is, this is when she turns around to go help Chance, and so he kind of follows her too. Outside the factory, Pick says, It appears your trophy is ripping us a new orifice. 
And Fushan says, he's an annoying little insect, and I want him stomped on hard. And as all those men are walking into the building, uh, hard, hard pick, or uh, Fushan sort of stops Pick and says, you're not angry with me, are you, Pick? And Pick says, I don't get angry. I'm a professional. One of my favorite lines, not in this movie, but in any movie of all time. I love that line, and I say it as often as possible. Because I wish I could be like that. Because I'm not as emotionally disconnected from my art like Pick is. And I would imagine he views what he does as an art form. I'm not as emotionally detached as he is, but I like that sentiment. I like that idea that professionals don't get angry. You're a professional. You just deal yeah, with it. Fair enough. I can, I can see that. Yeah. Inside the factory, Chance is running from a hail of gunfire and explosions. One explosion opens a hole to the next warehouse, which is the Mardi Gras float graveyard. Inside the Mardi Gras graveyard, Fushan and his men, they sort of walk through the hole, and they're greeted by a giant paper mache head. It's really interesting. So it's basically just a bunch of old floats, Mardi Gras floats in there. Uh, His men fan out and start searching for Chance. They stop in their tracks when they hear whistling. They look around, but don't see Chance. Pick says, if we walk away, we could be in Mexico in five hours. Fushan says, what the fuck is the matter with you, Pick? Hunting drunks in alleys has made you soft. All of a sudden, Chance comes down riding like this mache, like swan thing. It's probably just yeah. a part of a of a you know float or whatever. But he's he's coming down on it from the ceiling, um, and he's shooting his shotgun, and he's like blowing up like barrels of gas and paint or whatever explodes. You know, uh, this is when Fushan's jacket is caught on fire, and you know he's like, Rah! and he, like, he throws it off, and he like grabs his men. He's like, get in there. You know, it's, it's it's very intense. So that jacket is off, and then it's back on, and then it's off again. Oh shit! I never noticed that. Good call. Yeah. Oh, I never little noticed continuity that. flaw there. Oh. And apparently, the jacket really did catch on fire, and uh, so Henriksen played that scene through while his jacket was legit on fire. Well, the funny thing is, Lafors is behind him. And you can tell that the actor is like slack jawed. He's like, what do I do? Like, because Lance is still acting, but you can tell something's not right, you know, on, on Sven's face. But hey, he, he held his ground, you know. No, he, didn't, he, did. he didn't rush to, uh, to Lance's aid. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pick those a grenade uh, and kind of blows up the swan and Chance jumps free. Uh, outside, we see Nat and Duvet arrive on their horses. Back inside, Chance reloads his shotgun. Again, I like that they show that. Uh, A motorcycle goon rounds the corner, but Chance sort of like hits him and holds him there. He looks into the guy's visor and he sees LaFour's approaching from behind. Uh, He punches the guy and grabs his pistol from his holster, but it's kind of upside down. And he goes at uh, LaFour's just firing off the shots. It like just riddles him, fucking just lights up LaFour's full of uh, the entire clip, but doesn't kill him. He's still standing there. So then fucking Chance jumps up Fucking roundhouse kicks him across the face, knocks out his cigar because his character's like has a cigar the whole time. And like uh, Schwarzenegger, yes, he, yeah, him. I, you know him and Schwarzenegger like both 
go to cigar shows and do shit like that together. Well, he you looks know? like Dutch from from Predator in this. He does. He really does. I actually liked his hair in this. LaFour's hair. Yeah, me too. Um, he sends him to the ground dead. Uh, and then the motorcycle goon gets back up, but Chance is like, bro, give it a rest. Kill, shoots that guy, fucking reloads. Like It was only like three more bullets left in the clip, but I like it. They show a close-up shot, him reloading the fucking gun. Another guy pops up, and he fucking lights that guy up too. Again, John Wick was not the first movie to show people reload guns. This movie yep. does it a lot. And I guarantee you, a lot of people back in the day were probably like, well, I don't want to see him reload the gun. Just shoot people. It's like, no. Reloading the gun is fucking cool. We want to see that. Oh, John Wick. Oh, John Wick. Uh, outside, uh, Nat asks what they should do. Duvet says they put an arrow in everyone that's not chance. Love it. <laughs> Great plan. Yeah. Uh, Nat and Duvet sneak inside, uh, but a goon gets a jump on them and shoots, kind of separating the two. When he runs out of bullets, he kind of runs to hide behind a uh, another float a piece of the float but i love that that wolfer brimley he's like pulls the arrow and he tracks him and you can tell wolfer brimley he like he's like aiming at him and then he wolfer brimley makes a hard right like he kind of yep. aims it to the right that. knowing where the guy's gonna be it's awesome shoots the arrow fucking just goes right through the guy's fucking neck and we get a close-up shot of his fucking neck at this point, uh, the goon, the other one of frickin' Frack, the poor man's Ike from Tombstone, uh, the goon that beat up Chance at the, the burned-down house, you know, the one that says, Tell your government opponent is north. Uh, he's, like, kind of <laughs> chasing uh, Nat around and sort of shooting at her. Uh, she kind of runs around and picks up one of a, a, a dead goon's body. Um, but when Frick catches up to her, he's like, he's like there and he's like, he knows he's got the jump on her, but she's got the gun sort of behind her back. He doesn't see it. And he goes, you fucking bitch. And she fucking just lights up his fucking guts and dick. My only problem is, is that he's wearing such a tight shirt that you can see the squibs underneath of it before the, like before they go off essentially, but it's yeah, still cool. It's a great scene. Cause he's, <laughs> he's such a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a nice. Uh, it's actually uh, she gets she gets a little bit of. I feel like again they probably had scenes with her more exposition, you know, where yeah. she she had more going on in her background to 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 take out this dude with such a vengeance. So so venomously, I mean, his guts are just destroyed. It's great. Uh you know, Uncle Duvet's like, I love this. He's like, look what you're doing now. Look, I, I take care of the bad men. Oh, it's, I was trying to do a French accent. I don't know what that was, but I like it. I like how he doesn't want, he wants to preserve her innocence. And and again, I think another thing I love about the movie is like, yeah, Chance and Duvet, they're just like super fucking nice guys. It's like a, it's, it's a Superman scenario. It's like, you know, no one's really like that, but you wish people were and you hope that people are. And that's what's cool about it. Cut to chin, and then now like we cut to like back to like the random battles. But of course, Chance is swinging on a on a rope like fucking Tarzan, right? Like, why wouldn't we cut back to Chance swinging on a rope? This is when the music changed, by the way. Okay, next time I watch it, because unlike Cyborg, I will have this back into my rotation on the yeah. reg. I will I will listen for that because I'm you are much more musically inclined than I am, and your ear, uh, if guys and gals, if you didn't know, uh, Zach is very very musically talented. Um, plays in a, plays in a band, singer, freaking just a very musical guy. So I don't pick up on music stuff as much as you do. 
this scene is pivot. I mean, you, 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 you'll, you'll see it the next time you watch it. Okay. Okay. I'll and look for you. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you get the Kino disc. Yeah, I know. We, we both are. I know we are. And, and by the way, for the record, by, you said like, oh, buy it. don't buy it. We'll, we'll just buy our own. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just the name of the game with the, with this thing. You know what I mean? That's but, right. but I am double dipping. I will be double dipping for the Kino uh, 4K oh, no disc. No doubt. So Chance is swinging through the air. He fucking kills the buffalo guy, <laughs> you know. Uh, and then uh, then he dodges an arrow from the first hunter that killed Bender, that first guy. My only gripe is I wish Natasha killed this guy instead because this is the guy that killed her dad. It would make more sense. Yeah. Duvet rushes in and shoots the hunter in the arm with the arrow, but another goon shoots him in the leg. Natasha jumps out behind Duvet and tosses Chance her gun. Another bit of incontinuity because uh, Duvet just took the gun from her. She wouldn't have it. So that was another yep. bit of that. I actually picked up on that one. Yep. Chance, I wrote that down too. But it's cool because uh, we get our, our, our John Woo moment. Chance spins around with two pistols and another goon. He lights the fuck up out of this guy. You know, it's, <laughs> I love it when he just fucking destroys them, you know. Uh, and as he's like, as that goon is going down, uh, he, he sort of kicks him out of the way. And then the hunter guy's behind him. He lights that guy up, too. And yep. then he, he, he kicks him and he kicks him. And then, like, there's a great shot of, like, that guy's mouth, like, going, you know and then he fucking shoots him some more it's fucking brutal it's awesome i love it uh and i and then i also equally love the fact that we see chance grab the clips off of his bodies off yeah, of his body too yeah it's great chance then runs back to duvet and nat uh chance says they were supposed to get help and duvet's like we're here to help <laughs> Uh, just then picking his men start shooting and chance has to hide behind like this rolling tool locker that you would sort of see in a, in a mechanics place, right? Like a garage. He uses it as mobile cover to get across the open space to this office that's in the back of the the factory, back in the warehouse. And it's one of those offices where it's, even though it's in a warehouse, it has windows and stuff. It's like still sort of, sectioned off you know uh he uses it as mobile like i said he uses that mobile cover to get there uh he kind of takes out three goons in the process uh fushan shoots and misses with his hand cannon chance dives into the office and uh shoots another goon pick advances on the office with his guns blazing chance shoots back and they sort of both end up with their backs to each other but with a wall in front of each other this is going to be sort of a shot that is very john woo we're going to see it in face off right like later yep yep oh totally i think they they did this they just repeated this scene i I think so too because it's like you're almost seeing travolta and cage right because you're almost seeing like a cross section of the actual wall itself. Like you're looking the wall, it's in the middle of it, you know? I think that was in a better tomorrow also. I think I think so. I think it was as well, because I do remember Chai and Fat having something similar. Um I need to rewatch all of those movies again. It's been just as long as as, as before. Or just as long as I've seen Hard Target essentially. Right. So chance so chance is inside the office while sort of um pick is outside. They're both reloading their pistols and 
you know, they're having some conversation. It actually wasn't that interesting and didn't really push the pot forward, so I didn't uh, really track it. Uh, but they're having some banter, you know, back and forth while reloading. Uh, once they finish reloading, they both pop back out and start shooting again. They both sort of, like, they're shooting a shit ton of bullets, but are not hitting each other. Uh, Chance shoots a goon that's trying to sneak up behind them. Um, and then the last hunter guy has, like, he's also in, in another office, too. Uh, he's holding two grenades. Chance shoots the shit out of him. That guy drops his grenades, and I love it. It's like Chance is still now back to shooting at Pick, but behind him, explosion goes off, and that guy's body just fucking flies through. I love it. I think that's fucking awesome. What the? And I think the reason why they're not hitting anything is because they're both running and they're shooting in an angle. Yeah. So they're shooting diagonally behind, sort of like diagonally back. They're, so they're, they're shooting their at where they are like, yeah, like going. The wrong direction, really. Yeah, because they're shooting at where the person was, was. not where they think the person is gonna be. They're not. Yeah. They're not leading their target at all. They're su- they're shooting at its shadow. Yeah. It, yep. You're right. You're a hundred percent correct in in that regard. Which is ridiculous, and but it, but it makes for a great scene. Yeah. Yeah. It makes for a very yeah explosive scene. Uh, then pick throws a grenade through the office window. As Chance jumps out, it explodes behind him. Chance lands on the ground sort of on his back, but the force of the explosion is sort of propelling him, you know, forward. So he's sliding on his back on the ground, um, and he basically goes under this table that Pick was sort of behind. He lights up the table, and then he just fucking lights up Pick. He just, like, unloads both clips into him. Um, Pick, you know, he's standing there for a second, and then he sort of starts falling forward onto Chance, but Chance, JCVD, puts his leg up in the air and stops him with his foot, and then picks like, oh, you know, and you can tell he's like dying, blood's coming out of his mouth. He pulls one of his grenades out and is and wants to like, you know, blow up, you know, uh, a Chance, but he just kind of dies with the grenade in his hand, and, and Chance grabs that grenade. But uh, it's cool, man. Fucking uh, uh, Pick goes out like a fucking champ. Yeah, one of the better deaths, but it has to be one. It has to be because he's like second in command. So yeah, it's got to be intense. It's got to be. Uh, cut to Natasha helping Duvet to his feet. Cut back to Fushan finding Pick's dead body, uh, and, and and how you know he can tell he's upset about this. So I'm gonna go back to the head cannon that you created earlier. That that maybe they were actually partners in life as well because he's yep. very upset. You know, if not, they're very close friends. Either way. It's an emotional connection between two bad people. And you know what? Sometimes it's nice just to have a connection in this world. I totally agree. And that's why he's grunting through the whole, the rest of the, the last 10 minutes of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we see Chance kill this like weird fake bearded goon guy. He like had this, like this goon has like a yes. weird fake red beard and he kind of dispatches him, but you know, it's fun. Uh, Fushan starts yelling at Chance and he's like yelling. So there's, then there's like basically five minutes now of them yelling at each other while while Lance Hendrickson is shooting his gun, just blowing up Bechet heads and everything. But we get the famous lines, you know, Chance yells, how's it feel to be hunted? And Fushan goes, ah, you tell me. And then Chance says, you should know better. And I'm like, why the third one? Like, like, 
drop that third line. It's you like you just better. oh, but you tell me. No, you tell me. No, you tell me. It's like oh, that was bad. I just you didn't need the third retort. You know. You should know better. <gasps> Why? Because you do most of the killing. It's, what do you mean I do? You do it every night. Yeah. No, I don't. I send people to do it. Why are we keep talking? I don't know. It's it's like two alpha talkers trying to get the last word in. Yeah. It's really, but I mean, it's fun, you know, whatever. Uh, clearly, Fushan's sort of losing his shit, you know. It would have been funny if they went, one, two, three, not it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but this is even better uh he's shooting around and yeah things are on fire and everything and then all of a sudden chance comes flipping over the wall of fire and lands on his feet and shoots fushan with a shotgun sending him flying back you you think this is the the end right but it's only the beginning It's only the beginning of the second end. <laughs> yes. There's really only like three minutes left in the film. Natasha and Duvet uh, come to Chance's aid. They're trying to get there, uh, but Fouchant intercepts them. He kind of stabs uh, Duvet in the chest with with, uh, with one of his own arrows and then punches him, sort of knocking him out. And then he grabs Natasha hostage. And he's kind of holding the arrow at her throat while his one hand and the other hand sort of grabbing her by the back of the hair. Natasha tells Chance to shoot Fushan, but Fushan uh, explains that he has picked the wrong tool for the job because, you know, shotgun wouldn't be accurate at all. Chance puts down the gun, uh, but we see that he has the grenade still in his hand. Fushan says to, to Natasha, You see, Mrs. Bender, you I can understand. It was a matter of family. And then he says to Chance, You had nothing in common with these people. What made you want to complicate my life like this? Chance says, Poor people get bored too. <laughs> That's such a terrible line and so not memorable at all. I would rather him say, You want to take it in the butt? <laughs> I'd rather him say, like, I got involved because you're a dick. Like, just say that. Like, you're a fucking asshole and I got involved. Like, that. I'd rather see that. Uh, or he could have even said, He said, uh, uh, because it's about time that the game was over or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's better. That's better than poor people get bored, too. Yeah. You know that the writer thought that was gold, though, when he said poor people get bored. Poor people get bored? Or I was tired of watching my friends lose the game. Now, for you, it's the game. The game is over. For, I don't know. For you, the game will lose or something. There, there's a million things that you could have said other than poor people get bored too. Because it's time you fake the funk on a nasty dunk. What? <laughs> That's better. Leave it at that one. You fake the funk on a nasty dunk. That's awesome, bro. I want that on a shirt. Dr. J. That's awesome. Uh, Fushan then makes Natasha sort of reload his gun. And it's it's funny because he does like this oh, when she grabs one of the, the, the I bullets. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Got one bullet left. Yeah. Chance nods to her to sort of do it. Once the bullet is in the chamber, but it's not like it's in the chamber, but it's not like cocked and ready to go. Chance starts running towards Fushan. You know, obviously this is all in slow motion. Fushan pulls up the gun and, you know, 
Chance is already there. He fires, misses, and Chance fucking drop kicks him in the chest. I love that he spits out a bunch of blood. Like you know he fucking broke a rib with that fucking drop kick. Oh yeah, that's great. When he falls on his back, he Trushan then kicks like this flaming barrel uh, at Chance, but Chance quickly recovers and sort of jumps over it. Um, this buys Fushan time to pick up like this flaming two by four and starts beating Chance with it repeatedly. Uh, then Chance kicks Fushan in the face a few times. And then sort of like blocks the the two by four when he swings it again. And this is awesome because it's on fire and the chance is fucking just holding it, just staring at him with it all on fire and shit. I'm like, yeah, dude, this is like, it's intense, dude. Yeah. A lot, lot of flame in this part. Yeah. A lot of flame here. And then we see like flashes of all the people that died, you know, throughout the course of the movie. And you know that this is what's giving him the, the power, giving Chance the power. And he kind of like swings his leg down and fucking breaks the two by four with his leg. He then grabs Fushan by the shirt, starts punching him in the face with the like the hand that's holding the grenade. So, so like, you know, as well as I do, that means it's like a heavier punch and everything. He's fucking yep. fucking this guy up. And I like how like Fushan tries to like, break the the grab but he can't you know like he's just getting fucked up and uh once fushan is dazed he <laughs> he says now this is better hunting season is over and then pops the pin on the grenade and there's a cool shot where the the fucking grenade the pin flies up in the air and like fushan's like looking at lance Henderson's looking at it and he drops it in fushan's pants and then i love this i love it when your death blow is a headbutt and he yeah. fucking headbutts fushan back into a pile of trash and he kind of quickly like runs away you know grabs natasha and runs away fushan's you know sitting there like oh he reaches into his pants quickly grabs their grenade out of his crotch unscrews the firing pin off the top and i love the look on his face when he's like haha you know and then all of a sudden the firing pin it still does the little spark but he didn't move the pin far enough away from the grenade and i love how he goes whoops and then he fucking explodes he makes this like oop like sort of noise and then explodes yeah the the whoops is the best part <laughs> the, it's the best part the whoops it's one whoops <laughs> Dude, you, you never expect your your villain to say whoops and then it's explode, great. but it it's fucking great. works, dude. It fucking yeah. works. It's hilarious. Yeah. Uh Chance Chance gets up, you know, from covering Natasha and uh they check on Duvet. They they bring him up, you know. He's like, oh, he's alive." You're like, "Oh my god, he's got the air sticking out of his chest." They pull it out. <laughs> he's like, "Oh, this is a real tragedy. This is a real catastrophe." And he pulls out his flask, and it, it took the arrow. the The arrow was was in the flask. A very uh, fancy looking flask, too. Yeah, it really was. Like Jesus, he went up. He went down to the ninety nine cent store. He upgraded. <laughs> and uh, you know, as per typical uh, this of these kind of movies, people laugh. Everyone laughs. It's a good time. They walk away, and credits roll as Born on the Bayou by Credence Clearwater Revival plays over the credits. And that is John Woo's Hard Target. Wow. So, Zach, truthfully, where does this stand in your pantheon of JCVD movies? I know... Bloodsport is is your number one. I know that. And we all know Cyborg is now not a contender. Is this top three, top five, top ten? I put it in my top five. Okay, that's good. I'd say. Yeah, that, that's fair. Probably the bottom half of my top five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think 
again, you you got to go with the supporting actors. Uh, honestly, my probably my top five Van Damme movies are Bloodsport, Maximum Risk, possibly Sudden Death, Death Warrant, and then Hard Target. I would say. Uh, no, no, sorry. Maybe Double Impact isn't. Double Impact is in there somewhere. Okay. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Like, it's fun, man. It's you know, it's 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 got its flaws, but all his movies have flaws. Yeah. You, so you you have to let all that go if you're gonna watch a movie like this. You already know what you're in for, and it fires on the cylinders it needs to fire on, and. The misses are more comical, and you can just dismiss it. You know, but in, it's some. It's like this seems to sometimes happen frequently with these movies that we sort of go back to. Sometimes the misses and the goofs and the silly stuff is actually what makes the movie endearing and gives yeah. it legs. Totally, totally agree. Yeah, yeah. I'd say overall, it was a super entertaining movie, and Lance Henriksen probably makes he's he's what makes it the best. And I forgot that Wilford Brimley, he's really not in it all that much. No, I know. He's really he's in not. in like three or four scenes, and that's about it. Yeah, but yet he he is fantastic in it. And But yeah, dude, Lance Henriksen is a tour de force in this film. Arnold Voslo is just tearing up the scene as well. Um, I think you're right. I think, yeah, JCVD does a great job, and I actually really like his acting in this, even though sometimes yep. we think it's a little bit low. I, I overall thought this was one of the better acted of his films. Totally. And, and and I and I but I think that what really makes it stand out is the collection of characters in this film. It's just outstanding. And I like the action in it, man. I like I mean I know like action nowadays is still stylized, but I don't know, is it? Like the action in this movie was so cool and so slick and, and so slick for like a lower budget. I feel like now, like, and I love the Fast and Furious movies. Diallo knows that, you know, but yeah. like, you know, like, dude, those movies are like $5 billion to make. This was made for like 34,000, like $34 million. Like, it's it's insane. Like, why can't we go back to making movies like this, you know? I don't see why you can't. Uh, I know they made a sequel to this. I've never seen with- it. Have you? I haven't seen it mm. with Scott Adkins, who turns out, uh, I think his birthday, actually, by the time we film this, his birthday's coming up, okay. uh, recorded this, but yeah, I, 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 it's just not the same, man. It's an era. That's, that's why I tend to pick movies from the eighties and the early nineties, because it's an era that we're, we're never going to get back. No. We're never going to get the, that, that kind of vibe again. Uh, we can try as much as we want, you know, and then we'll get a Kung Fury. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, it's like S- Steve Kostansky is the only person that's like making the movies that sort of feel like they were made back then. Um, but yeah, I'm with you, buddy. I love this shit, man. So can we officially say season two JCVD movies have been redeemed? Yeah, I think we can. We can give. Uh, we can lay to rest, cyborg. We gave JCVD another chance <laughs> because his mama took one. <laughs> Uh, and we because we took one and it turned out uh not so bad not so bad eh, not so bad and and you know what guys and gals i love this movie but i do think it's a very specifically like me movie and probably like me with my friends and everything this was like our movie that we all watched together yeah, it's got a lot of nostalgia yeah i i'm very 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 uh uh 
shaded by that. So I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you the next movie that we watch doesn't have the same nostalgia, but, but it, it will nevertheless check off the boxes that you have come to love. (laughs) Well, you know what checks off all the boxes that I love? What's that? $2 late fee. Oh yeah. Hey, why don't you plug the Patreon? You guys, ju- by the time we're recording this, you guys over $2 uh, late fee just launched a Patreon. And all our listeners out there, I want you guys to go check it out. Uh, it's patreon.com slash $2 late fee, and that's T-W-O. Um, and yeah, what, 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 plug it, buddy. What, what's going on over there? Everyone sh- by this point should know what the what $2 late fee is, but what's the Patreon? What do you bring into the Patreon? Well, thanks. Well, first of all, Robert Ortiz already joined our Patreon. Oh, good. He's yeah, he's one of ours too. So awesome. Good, our good bro. I'm uh, yeah, I'm friends you... with Robert on on Facebook, but I've never actually met him face to face. I hope one day, Robert, if you're listening, uh, I'm sure you are. Um, I hope one day when I come down to visit uh, Zach, I actually get to meet you one of these days. Well, he's in Florida, Robert. Um... I will never meet you. So good talk. <laughs> <laughs> but Robert is such a good guy. Such a he good is. guy. He's we really ever... good guy. Mutual love of soundtracks and uh, Cemetery Man and Dylan Dog mm. and all that good stuff. But, uh, yeah, no, we, we launched our Patreon um, not that long ago. And we have three tiers, two, eight, and uh, 13. And at, at the at the very lowest tier, you get Tales from the Video Store, which is uh, very comical, very bizarre tales from Dustin and I and our days working in a video store. And we will be having special guests on the show um, who worked with myself or with uh, Dustin and maybe celebrity guests too, because there's quite a few that we know that worked at video stores as well. Um, That's one of the shows. Another one is what does Dustin know? It's where I ask him trivia questions from a particular year a movie came out and see if I can stump him uh, and with comical results as well. The other one is um, $2.6 six questions, which is uh, our celebrity guests that we have on once a month. We ask them questions that can be, uh, again, very funny at times and insightful and get, and it allows you to get to know the guests a little bit more along with that. You know, if you sign up at certain tiers, you can ask the celebrities questions, very similar to what we do on podcasting after dark. Uh, and then the highest tier is when I will, every six months, I will make you a curate curated just for you mix cd featuring music from the show there's that and much more on our patreon page so i encourage you guys to open your minds and uh you know check it out and maybe it works for you even if it's two dollars a month that would be totally cool uh just 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 to have you on board because we put a lot of love into this uh into these episodes and series and there's other things coming along the way that i can't reveal just yet but this patreon is going to blow your mind you know what else is going to blow your mind the podcasting after dark patreon as well i I was gonna say we need to like do some like like something where you me and dustin do some kind of a show because it's like there's this connective tissue between obviously between podcast after dark and two dollar late fee, but then there's this even though Dustin and I are you know friends offline, we still really haven't done much like podcasting together. Actually, Dustin and I have never 
podcasted together, right? Yeah, no, that we haven't. No, so we haven't. I, I would like to do that. And, and honestly, I've, I've said it before offline, but one of my, my wishes is that we have Dustin on to, to do uh, The Legend of Billie Jean because uh, I watched that movie because of your all's, like, your first episode of Tudor Alefi was, was that movie, and, or, like, second or something. It was, like, early on, and I— and, that got me into it, and I watched it, and I would love to do it on pad because I think it is a pad movie. Um, but I just I want Dustin on it, you know. It's like I think that'd be fucking perfect, right? Like all three oh, of us yeah. do it. Yeah, no doubt. He 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 would jokingly say he he'll probably tap out after ninety minutes, but uh, but yeah, definitely. The, having doing a crossover is very much needed well, because um well maybe we could do a like a freeform discussion like of a movie maybe we could do something where like we do something where like we and we release the episode on both feeds at the same time type of thing or something and i'd be okay with like just doing a freeform discussion of the legend of billy jean i know you guys have already seen it maybe we can pick something else but anyway i'm just i'm just spitballing here you know maybe i'll cut well, this there, i don't know we'll there's see. some movies coming up that we have cro- uh, potential crossover potential with uh but we'll i can't reveal that just yet what i can reveal is that we have a lot of great interviews coming up um and then movies connected to that i'm not going to tell you who they are yet the next one actually i will tell you it will be summer school i love summer and school. then Richard Horowitz and Dean Cameron, two of the stars of Summer School, did a hilarious interview with us. Um, but yeah, our our show, our page. If you know if you know us, you already know this. It's all about bringing joy to people's lives, uplifting, um, escaping some of the madness in the world, and living the reliving nostalgia from an era that is very near and dear to our hearts. Hmm. You know who just uplifted our lives? Uh, Crystal, who just joined our Patreon, our Podcast After Dark's Patreon, at the uh, at the highest tier, which is the uh, the you pick a movie for us to review, um, and uh, it's like twenty dollars a month tier, and uh, she joined it. And I know because I was talking to her on Instagram. I know she wants us to do Monster Squad at some point, so. I think we're going to have to do Monster Squad at some point. And I have no problem with that whatsoever. So we we might have to get Andre Gower, a.k.a. Sean, from the Monster Squad on our show because we had him on $2 Late Fee. That's great guest. That would be awesome. Yeah, he made the documentary Wolfman's Got Nards, which you can actually check out now on Amazon Prime, maybe? Okay. Just Amazon. Okay. Um, Because it's an indie thing. It's you got to rent it. And I think, you know, obviously the money goes. Yeah. To a good place. Yeah, spend, but, spend um, the money. Spend the money on it. Great love letter to uh, to Monster Squad and just fandom in general. Yeah. You know, people who love cinema. So really fun documentary. Yeah, we might have to get him on the show. Yeah. Because, yeah, so that's uh, a, a little yeah. some insights as to what's coming. Yeah, I, But yeah, I would love to do a, a, a something... With two dollar lay fee, I I think that'd be a lot yeah, of fun cool. to do some kind of cross well, yeah we cross promotional cover Monster thing. Squad as well yeah uh, Crystal thank you for signing up to our highest tier, and 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 if you can do it great you know it's weird if you think about it uh, we're all budgeting stuff and and I think sometimes people go oh you know I I can't afford that and then you break it down and you're like well it's actually not that much money um, and shoot like the opportunity to be interactive with us goes even higher 
and I'm not gonna brag, but we are getting very popular. So, uh, so I'm just saying, we're turning somewhat into celebrities. So if you you're getting to hang with us, are, um, are we on Cameo now, or, or do are we going to be on Cameo? Well, no. I'll tell you what, <laughs> yeah, you do get. You don't have to pay us to get our content, but if you do, you get a lot more. It's not just a 30 minute interview for 20 bucks. That That's a nice way of saying like, we got a lot of shit going on over our Patreon page. Go check it out. Yeah, Patreon.com slash podcast after dark. Uh, check out Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. Check out uh, Action Action. Check out Talking Back. Check out Blast from Past. Check out everything on the BFOP network. Of course, check out uh, $2 late fee. And uh, dude, I, I love this movie. And I had a blast uh, fucking doing it with you, just like I have a blast talking TV Obscura with you and and doing everything else. So this is always a lot of fun. And I I had a wonderful time revisiting fucking JCVD's hard target, my man. Hard fucking target. His mama took one. (laughs) And as always, we'll get you in the dark side. Uh, we'll catch you. Uh, we'll catch you on the dark side. Uh, pick up. You tell me. You tell me. Join the Podcasting After Dark Patreon community to unlock exclusive monthly content like cast interviews and a fan feedback show. Plus, you get every regular episode of Podcasting After Dark completely ad free. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us five stars on Apple Podcasts and by recommending us to your friends. Finally, make sure you follow us on Reddit, Instagram, and Facebook for news and updates about future episodes. Just search for Podcasting After Dark.